yes. And this is how Charles, you know, at the very end of the day, Charles Xavier is going to get, he's going to get his mutant. Yes. Don't know how, but it, it's going to happen. He's going to catch them all. He, <laughs> not the Pokemon. Not he the now mutant. has like his fuck. He's now Professor X on fucking Krakoa with a full Pokedex of every yes. fucking mutant. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, evil mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. The only hope is X-Men. Welcome to Cerebro, the X-Men podcast where a homo and his friends dig deep into the history of Homo Superior. I'm your host, Connor Goldsmith, and with me today is returning guest, Steph Williams, previously on the show for the episode on Roxy Washington, a.k.a. Bling, and now back to talk about Cecilia Reyes, Dr. Extraordinaire on Krakoa and beyond. Steph, since the last time we were on the show together, your comics career has absolutely skyrocketed. How are you doing today? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, it feels like a lifetime ago since I was on here. Right? It feels so long ago. <sighs> There's any indication. But I mean, I'm doing I'm doing great. I'm busy, which is a good thing. But also like a, ooh, you know, what? what is sleep? I, I wish I knew. But overall, like it is, it's going, it's going really good. Yeah, that was literally a year not quite a year it was like last july i want to say yeah yes so almost a full year but we were recording the day before nubia and the amazons was announced yes and now nubia and the amazons was a gigantic hit you have continued to write the character the character has a bigger profile than she's ever had before the cover for nubia queen of the amazons the follow-up miniseries just dropped and looks fantastic what's that experience been like it's been a whirlwind, I can tell you that much, because this time <laughs> last year, <laughs> like, talks of the second series was kind of like a thing. It was, you know, mm -hmm. lightly mentioned. I was like, yeah, whatever. We'll cross that road when we get to it. Then we got to that road, and I had to cross it. And I was like, well, let's take her off the island, get her out of man's world, you know, make it seem like Nubia has been here the whole time, even though you haven't really seen her. So she's been stuck in that basement job. So trying to find ways to make her feel as lived in as possible without being like a weird kind of Cronenberg situation with the, you know, all that, right? <laughs> right. No, not literally lived in, you know, in a creepy way, but lived in as a, as a fictional character. No, I mean, I, I think the most impressive thing about what you've done with that character is that she does feel like she's been there the whole time. I mean, I... I'm not a big DC reader. I kind of fell off with the New 52 and I've just kind of bounced in back and forth occasionally. But I did read Nubia because I was like, my friend Steph is writing that. Thank you. And I've always liked conceptually the Diana and Nubia relationship, which you made very different. They're not like sisters in a literal way, but the sisterhood of the Amazons feels very real in this and like the potentiality of what being an Amazon can mean and then just like it's gay as hell which i thought was awesome <laughs> like i really i really loved it and then that new costume is oh, just stunning it is and it's so funny because like now when i do see nubia sloan like the wonder woman costume it's like hey guys like she's got a cool costume put her in that 
She has her own costume. Put right? her in her cool costume. <laughs> yeah, and her own weapon too, which is something that I never thought I would. That spear, which ever is so say, cool, right? looks I, awesome. I something created from very, very gay love. So there you go. Who needs a god when you have a girlfriend, yeah. right? <laughs> well, period. I <laughs> right? mean, I, I literally was just saying to someone earlier today that if you can date women and not men, I recommend it. So if it's an option for you, <laughs> it's not for me, unfortunately. And so I'm stuck dating men, which is always a struggle, in my opinion. It's a, <laughs> but, it's a thing, you know? <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? I've been really excited to watch your star climbing. The book has been pretty rapturously received, honestly. Like, I mean, I'm sure there are some like crazies out there who didn't well, you like know... it, being like <laughs> black gay people or whatever. But like, that's not your problem. No, you know actually, I mean? Connor, it hasn't even been that. It's been I didn't realize how many people really, really love Nubia's original origin. Because by the way, it wasn't like oh, you the, said the black hey, sister thing, right? Yeah, but I'm just like you know, one, it's not like we just said, "Oh, we're gonna change this." Like we were asked to change it, change it by DC, but also, you know, huh? You, we would rather her be not a copy. Like you want her to, you know, like yeah, yeah th- yes. They're sort of equals, though, in a sure. sense. Like it shows mm-hmm. Hippolyta make both of them. The real problem is that Wonder Woman hasn't had that origin in like. A decade now because they yeah. took that away with the new 52 so if diana was not made from clay by hippolyta then nubia certainly can't be and it would be i think actually ill-advised to restore that origin to nubia rather than and if diana doesn't have it because then it would be weird that like oh, yeah. hippolyta just specifically made a black daughter but like had a white one with zeus that would be i think strange there would be something like oh like she needs a sister so i'm gonna make this one out of a little bit of fancy foundation right yeah i mean you know i i appreciate that hippolyta is into a range of daughter shades i think that's cool of her i, I mean guess, that part but, is really uh, cool but you know at yeah, but yeah, that's, uh... it's, it's messy. It's messy. Yes. And if, if Diana is not made from clay, then Nubia really probably shouldn't be made from clay. No. And either way, it wasn't your decision. So, no, you know, either way. Take um... it up with the take it up with Warner Brothers or DC or whoever. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, if anything, the for her coming out of the well of souls, which I'm happy that's the direction we ended up taking, has mm-hmm. opened up a world of storytelling that I got to explore in a Nubia coordination special with giving like showing mm-hmm. her life prior to coming to the well and then that playing into the new series so you know there's there's plus sides to doing something new and fresh you also got to do a very cool trans story that you teased yes. it sort of like you couldn't talk yes. about it in detail but you mentioned that trans women were welcome in your vision of Themyscira on the previous episode we did and it was very cool to see that play out on the page because exactly. I know a lot of trans women who love Wonder Woman. And I think it was just really powerful to see a trans Amazon be like a canonical thing and not something that we can assume exists or like that. Now, there's no argument now. If someone wants to argue about whether that's allowed or not, well, it's allowed. It's canon. I don't know what to tell you. You know what I mean? Which is, I think. I know. I And and personally, just as someone who just reads a lot of comics and just the historical aspect of it, that was something that I was really happy we were able to do because now you can be like, oh, I don't need a damn subtext. It's right here on the page. Mm -hmm. Don't have to do any, you know what I mean? Like there is no um, arguing that because it is there. So that was really important because there are going to be other writers that come after Vita and I. There'll be another writer that comes after I do. Right. 
So leaving that world open for them to play with, yes. You want to cement that shit, you know? Mm-hmm. I also thought it was cool to see a black lesbian relationship with like two black women. That's not something yes. you can see that often. Mm-hmm. There are those Dora Milaje characters, Ao, and I forgot her girlfriend's name. I'm not like a huge um, Anika. Avengers yeah, yeah. and Black Panther and all that mm-hmm. reader, but I've read some of the World of Wakanda stuff with them that was cute. This is something people have talked about with North Star and Kyle, actually. Like the mm-hmm. fact that Kyle has to like representationally be both things at the same, like he's the only black, or he was at the time, like the only black gay character. And so that was like a a dynamic in their relationship that's not really explored on the page, but like how does that intersect with the fact that he has no powers and North Star's a superhero. And like, there were all these kind of, there's interesting stuff there, but I feel like a lot of the time you see an interracial relationship because it's sort of like, it checks a lot of boxes at once, right? Like (laughs) in terms of representation. (laughs) It does. It ends up being that you don't see like black gay couples. So I thought this was cool to see by contrast. Exactly. And then ultimately having Nubia and Io together, like Mm -hmm. that kept me up at night just for what you just brought up because I'm like, I knew we were going to show Nubia and Andromeda together, but ultimately Nubia would end up with Io. And I was like, well, right. Well, here I am adding, adding to the list of interracial couples. but (laughs) But I think showing both was cool, you know? Yes. That part, and then also it's the mascara, so they're not dealing well, right. with, you know, things in the same way that we are. So it's a little bit differently. Also, um, just a blacksmith and someone who is like a literal weapon being together just on a very, you know, meta and also close. It just... And I has always been like kind of butch presenting. like Uh-huh. So that's a different kind of lesbian representation that's also cool to see. Yes. I mean, I was saying to Teeny, like, it was really cool to just see in Catwoman when Onyx showed up and Mm -hmm. Selena was like, I have a type. Bruce and Onyx are both it. (laughs) Yes. One of them is a white man and one is a black woman, but you absolutely get what she means, which is like Mm -hmm. slightly crazy hunk on the street doing vigilante work in black leather. I'm into it. Like, you get exactly what she means, which I thought was funny. (laughs) So it's nice to see... I don't know, all kinds of different... I, I just was very impressed with how much you managed to shift not only the world-building and in-story universe of the character in Six Issues, and also, obviously there have been other like stories yeah. that are in, you know, but you get what I mean, in the miniseries mm-hmm. itself, but also the public perception of the character. I mean, I really do feel like she has... A, it, it reminds me kind of of the way that... Kanon as Psylocke has become a really big X-Men oh my character God, yes. kind of out of the blue because Hellions yeah. was so great. It's similar here in that it's like, okay, this is sort of the other version of a famous character who is the woman of color who hasn't really been able to be on page with her own story. Yeah. And just like I feel like Kanon has become very quickly like a top tier X-Men character to people like in terms of public reception, she at least had, like, it's the Jim Lee Psylocke design to kind of uh-huh. boost that. Nubia, really, I mean, she's an obscure character. I feel like only nerds really knew who she was to begin with. Agreed. And now I feel like I see her all over the place. I've seen, like, cosplay. Like, she's around. Yeah. That's cool. You did that. <laughs> you and Vita did and that. And I love it, yes. And I, and I love it um, because <laughs> it was one of the things that was, like, 
number one when the editor asks like what it is that we wanted to accomplish and i'm like i want people to know nubia by name not as the black wonder mm-hmm. woman not as diana's sister none of any of those things just as nubia so it seems like mission accomplished so far so i'm, I'm very very happy about i think that. it's working out yeah and also she's cool so you know who doesn't want nubia to like step on you right (laughs) listen i mean like i said i'm sadly not into women but if ever a woman were to step on me nubia is would be high on my list so i would be honored to be stepped on by a powerful warrior right also the boots are great so the boots are so great if you're going to be stepped on like a chic boot i think (laughs) is good right yes well We are here not to talk about DC, but rather to talk about Marvel, where I hope we will see more of your work sometime soon. You did a Monica Rambeau story briefly for the Voices anthology, and you have used the Marvel characters in your fan comic, Living Heroes, which is what first certainly caught my notice and is so funny. Today, we are here to talk about a character who... I don't, has she been in Living Heroes? I can't remember. No, she was not in Living Heroes. Um, I was like, she, she must, she's got to have a guest spot or something, but I no. I thought about it. So. No. So if there's ever Living um, Living Heroes season two, which folks have been asking for, I'm just like, hey, got to get There's a question about together. that when we get to the Q&A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll save it for them. But yeah. that's what made me pause. Like, wait, did she never appear? Because I was like, that can't be right. I mean, it feels like it, right? So I got to rectify that. Yeah, it, I thought yeah, about yeah. it. There's a, a story script that just didn't make it, but she's definitely definitely in it. Someone needed to go to the doctor, but no health insurance. So Gotcha. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Like, it's as easy as having one of the characters go to the doctor's office, you know? Right. Cecilia Reyes was created by Scott Lobdell and Carlos Pacheco. She debuts in X-Men 65 in 1997. She is an Afro-Puerto Rican medical intern in her first year of residency at the Our Mother of Mercy Hospital in the Bronx, who is a closeted mutant. She has spent her life hiding her mutation ever since it first activated when she was six and her father was killed in a shooting. She has what is called a cytoplasmic force field, meaning that when she's in distress, I mean, she gets more control over it as the story goes, but initially it's basically, if you shoot her, she will deflect it by sort of making this kind of gold yellow energy kind of come out of her body. Unlike a character like Skids or Unis the Untouchable, she feels it, though. Yeah. She gets psychic feedback. So she's not eager to charge into battle. And for most of her time in publication, her big crisis has been that everybody wants her to join the X-Men and she simply does not want to join the (laughs) X-Men. And I mean, I understand. She debuts in Operation Zero Tolerance, not a good time for anybody. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, what would make her want to join? It turns out in the end that what makes her want to join is you want to date Gambit because, yeah. I mean, and there I can't argue. Yeah, that makes sense to me, honestly. It's a much smarter idea than dating Hank McCoy, which is what she did in the 90s. And I hate that for her. Uh, <laughs> moment. I just it was a deep sigh because um, <laughs> I was looking through the article that I wrote on her and like yeah because you wrote the like intro to Cecilia Reyes article yeah. for marvel.com yeah and like Hank has that he uh 
Oh my God. Frazier. What is the actor's name? Why am I blanking on it? Kelsey Grammer, ex-husband of Camille Grammer Meyer from The Real Houses of Beverly Hills. Oh my God. Yes. And he's got the Kelsey Grammer going on because I think at this time, this must've been close to X. It has to been close to X, the first X-Men movie coming out. It's a couple years before. It's a couple years before. Oh, maybe that's what made them cast. I think maybe that like they were writing him kind of as Frasier and then they hired Frasier for the movie is sort of, I think, the vibe. I'm not really mad at it. I unfortunately had a slight crush on Frasier because the channel I used to watch before I went to sleep when we didn't have cable would play like Frasier and Mad About You. And I developed a very slight crush on him. I don't know what it was. Kieran Gillen was just saying on his episode that the way he writes Mr. Sinister has a little bit of Frasier in it. Oh, I can tell. And I said that Amanda Mueller, the Black Womb, is the Lilith Sternin of the Sinister Frasier universe. <laughs> and then I was like, "Who's who are Niles and Daphne? Like, then my brain kind of started to go. And then it spirals. And then you're writing a Frasier X-Men And then you're situation. writing fucking living Frasier heroes. Yes. Like, like the spinoff <laughs> where the living heroes universe crosses over. And can you imagine actually a living single and Frasier crossover? I can actually. I would want it. I can also. Because what would happen is that that character would offer money to Queen Latifah's character to help keep the magazine yes. afloat. Because my favorite fact about Kelsey Grammer is like, that's how we got girlfriends. And I was like, oh. Okay, well, thank you, Mr. White Man, for being helpful. Yeah, he unfortunately is like a super hard right conservative guy in real life. Yeah, Yeah. so I just try not to look into that, (laughs) quite honestly. I loved Camille too on on Beverly Hills Housewives, and then like she started talking about politics. Was like, okay, I gotta, I gotta opt out of this. I can't like. You gotta, yes. No. Celebrities at a certain point have there needs to be a wall up between me and knowing really anything about them. Agreed. Um, I forgot who it was that I recently found out about, and I was like, wow, I wish I could strike this from my memory. Yeah, I wish I did not know that, and I apologize to the listeners for letting you know that Frazier is a Trumper if you didn't know that already. Yeah, but it's an unfortunate fact. That's, that's, that's why young Stephanie is very embarrassed that she had a slight crush on him oh we've all got moments i had the marky mark poster long before i knew anything about marky mark (sighs) so you know we've all got our well we didn't know you didn't know we didn't know (laughs) right we didn't have the internet is the thing like we had to you had to like find some article in the new york post and like who's you know we're kids right but in any case I really like this character and I was excited you wanted to talk about her because she fills the same niche as a lot of human female love interest characters that I really like, like Candy Southern or Trish Tilby or one of those, but she's a mutant and has powers. She's just very much like does not want to be in the mix. In that way, she's kind of like Amanda Sefton, who's another like love interest I enjoy where she's like, okay, I'm going to go do like witch stuff. You guys be easy. Like I, like, I don't know what to like. Um, okay, bye. And like, <laughs> Cecilia just wants to go be a doctor. That's all she wants to do. She. That's all she wants to Fate do. Fate conspires to drag her back into superhero bullshit over and over and over again. And unfortunately for her, she's such a good person morally that mm-hmm. if she can save people's lives with her force field power in a war zone, she's gonna do it. Right? She just really doesn't want to. <laughs> no, uh, she's de- <laughs> she's definitely like, yeah, Charles, you owe me one. 
Yeah, and I find it interesting because in that way, she's a lot like Havoc and Polaris, right? Who are like always trying to avoid the call and getting summoned back in. But they have inherently destructive powers. And that's, I think, part of why they rejected them and tried to go yeah. like not do this stuff. Her power is purely defensive. Well, at first. Eventually she learns yeah. how to make like spikes and stuff out of it to, you know, hit people. But takes a while to do that. And naturally, certainly for the 19 years that she was hiding it, it was a power that was only helpful. But she knew that the minute anyone saw it, her life would be over. She would never be able to be a doctor. It would never be okay for her. And in that way, she's a really fascinating metaphor for the experience of being in the closet, mm -hmm. which is what her story to me has always felt like it was getting at in the 90s yeah. in particular. It was like, if I come out as gay, I'm going to lose my job is basically mm -hmm. the vibe and like the gay X-Men keep dragging her to gay stuff. And she's like, I'm going to get spotted doing gay stuff and lose my job, but it's mutant stuff. It really felt to me like that's what was going on there. And coming out of the legacy virus, she's introduced when that plot is still going on as a medical professional who's hiding her own identity as part of that minority group secretly. Yeah. I just think she's a really interesting character and different from the way that other sort of self-hating mutants like Hank, for instance, have been characterized because for her, it really is more about safety. Yeah. And that's what her power is, right? Is like asking for safety. Yeah. Cause like for me, it was, all, it was, <laughs> so it was twofold. It was that aspect of her being in the closet, but also like this, that defense mechanism that she has as her power being like this very large metaphor for respectability politics in the black community as well. So like, mm. you know, you don't get to really be yourself, whatever that is, because you won't be able to move up as quickly. And especially for her as a woman, as an Afro-Latina woman working in the medical community, but trying to like compete with what that is too. So I'm like, Ooh, you got <laughs> like you got it bad. Yeah, particularly at an underfunded hospital in the Bronx. Yeah. Like there's a lot that's given to you right away. Her father died because of gun violence. Yes. It's very much it's on the surface there and she is her story really is about not just being in the closet or being stealth but also about code switching. Like that's what she's yes. constantly doing. Mm -hmm. Is trying to I mean that in the first issue where she's introduced, it's Operation Zero Tolerance is kicking off her coworkers are talking about how like mutants are trash and they should die. And she joins in the conversation and agrees with them. Yeah. And you get also her thoughts of how that like makes her feel ashamed, but she's going to do it anyway. And there's something to me very it's survival. compelling. Yeah. About this woman who is like basically alone in the world. Like she doesn't have a close mm -hmm. relationship with her surviving family. As far as we can tell, doesn't have a ton of resources paid her own way through medical school is my recollection, mm -hmm. has matched as a resident. She's a first year resident. She's 25. And she is at this hospital where they don't have proper funding. It's in the Bronx. So it's far away from like, you have to go across the water if you want to get to the really big hospitals in Manhattan or whatever. Like, yeah. as someone from New York, there's also like, you start thinking about the geography of it because Marvel's New York is usually very centered in Manhattan. Sometimes they go up mm -hmm. to Harlem, but that's still Manhattan. And then you have yeah. like Spider-Man in Queens, right? It's the first time I can remember, certainly the X-Men comics going to the Bronx. Yeah, actually. That's a good point. Because 
I think that is the first time. I guess one time, time they went really to Spite and Dival Cove, and that is in the Bronx, but like that wouldn't, yeah. it's not like the Bronx, the Bronx. Like she's in like right. the South Bronx. Which is important too, right? You can see where her what her character is. Just whether she wants to be a superhero or not is very just innate. It is in her to do that because why? Why do your residency there? You can probably go anywhere else, but she wants to serve her community and she wants to be helpful right. in that way. So, like Cecilia could never run away from being a hero, no matter how she how much she tried to like run away from it or uh, disguise it as something else. Like it was her destiny, whether she wanted it to be or not. She was always going to end up in solidarity with her fellow mutants because when we meet her, she has given up a lot of potential opportunities in order to be in solidarity with other working class black people in the Bronx rather than taking a higher paying job or anything like that. It is just who she is. And that whole first issue that she appears in, which kicks off Zero Tolerance, I honestly hadn't read it in a long time. And I've been kind of, while doing this show, reappraising the work of Scott Lobdell, who's a complicated figure, and we don't have to get into all of that, and him as a person. But the work I always thought of as very inconsistent, basically. When I don't like it, I really don't like it. But there are a couple issues that are like tight focus on character like this that are just so so good. It reminded me of, obviously, the big candy Southern phalanx issue that I love, but also the one with Amelia Vogt and Charles and like all of the memories about their past and stuff. This is kind of like that too. We don't get like literal flashbacks, but she explains Bobby rescues her from the Prime Sentinel. So you know what? We should probably, (laughs) let's let's get into the actual story, right? (laughs) Yeah, because, but like Bobby comes to save her. She's pissed. Because she thinks that she's furious. Mouth Charles, yes, <laughs> like blabbed away and like broke her <laughs> her confidentiality, right. and that's not. And she is like she is about to punch Iceman in the face for saving her. Like her, she takes a swing. Kind of, I love. She does take a swing, and I always love that when you get to see that in comics because the X Men can catch these hands because he promised me. He promised me that he would not ever bother me again. So, because that's the fun reveal. So I'm saying, we don't get a flashback. You actually get it yes. later in Uncanny, like years later. Yeah. The flashback here, we don't get. She just, Bobby basically, so she has a patient who's dying. She steps in to try and stabilize the patient. The patient dies, which is always, my sister's an emergency yeah. room doctor. This is like tough stuff. And I've, I've heard stories that are hard, yeah. you know, not Obviously, my sister wouldn't say anything confidential about a patient, but I've just heard about a rough day. You know, like doctors have rough days like this. Absolutely. She's bummed about that, obviously, but then he immediately wakes up as a prime sentinel, like Karima Shapano, the Omega Sentinel. This is where all that stuff comes from, if you're a newer reader. One of Bastion's human parasitized sentinel cyborgs who immediately turns to Cecilia and tries to kill her and exposes her as a mutant to all of her co-workers. She is rescued by the arrival of Iceman, who is like, here I am, being a superhero, and she's like, Charles fucking Xavier. God damn it, he <laughs> promised me that he would not tell anyone I was a mutant. He approached me about your little school three years ago, and I said, no, I'm in med school, I'm busy, and I just want to be left alone. And he left me alone, he said he would, but now I've got somebody trailing me. Cool, I've got like an ice guy flying around, and he's like, no, there's like an explosion in the hospital. I didn't. Like I was up the street. But she's skeptical. 
Oh, she's pissed. I mean, and can you blame her? Well, how often is Bobby Drake in the South Bronx? Let's be real for a minute. That, so, okay, yes, it does honestly, seem suspicious that, to me. <laughs> also, Charles is definitely <laughs> telling secrets. He's too and messy And definitely keeping to. her under observation because she's a yes. useful mutant who's like 90 minutes away by car. He's not going <laughs> to lose yes. track of her. No. <laughs> so I'm so sorry, girl, that you thought that he would keep that secret, but no. Um, once you are on Charles's list, you are on it until he can somehow persuade you to come help out with the cause. And the thing is, like, Cecilia's like, well, okay, everybody knows I'm a mutant now, so my job is fucked. So I guess I'll come with you and try to save the world or whatever. But now you have to tell me what your name is. If Charles is going around telling people, and he's like, Charles did not tell me, but he, he's like, she does not believe him. <laughs> because again, like, I don't blame her. For all we know, Charles put like a post-hypnotic telepathic suggestion in Bobby's head, like just keep an eye on this doctor every now and then. Like, we have no idea. He does shit like that. But <laughs> he tells her, my name is Bobby Drake. I'm just trying to save people. This is a big problem. Will you help us? She's just a lot of fun right out of the gate. I mean, she's definitely a little bit of, like, in 90s pop culture, the idea of, like, the sassy black woman. Like, she she is that a little bit in these early stories. It is very living single, honestly. It is. And you, but you know what? It's still not... It's still a little pulled back, which I was actually surprised when I went back to read these. And I was like, you know, it's there, but it's not as bad as it could be, right? Which was interesting. Again, I was very pleasantly surprised by how much I liked this issue reading yeah. it again. I Because I was expecting to go back and like, she was going to be like rolling her neck and stuff. She's not, you know what I mean? Like, it's not yeah. like that. Because after I went back to Phalanx Covenant and it was like, here's the first appearance of Sink in his like FUBU with the cops pointing guns at him. I'm like, they're not <laughs> going for subtlety at this moment. You know what I mean? No. So I was I was a little bit dreading it, but it actually it actually turned out. She basically they have this banter where like Bobby's sort of the straight man to her sarcastic uh-huh. commentary. Yes. And it's fun. I mean, that's the thing, though, is like she's really fun right mm-hmm. out of the gate. And then Morrow comes in because they got to like survive mm-hmm. the night, which. Yes. What a fun character um, she is. But I digress. Yeah, I mean, it's sad that the Siegel and Kelly era of X-Men, which is kicked off, right? So basically, for the listeners, right after Zero Tolerance, like an issue later, mm-hmm. Joe Kelly and Steve Siegel take over the two X-Men titles. This is a very brief run that got futzed with by editorials so much that Siegel and Kelly ended up leaving. That's when you get Alan Davis sort of coming into pinch hit and the mess that is the 12, <sighs> which was such a huge... yeah. Such a bizarre time in X-Men comics that they went and hired back Chris Claremont to do the revolution. And then when that didn't quite land, they completely relaunched the franchise under Grant Morrison. Yes. So this is one of those periods of the X-Men that is really in flux. It's the period I'm probably, apart from there's some 21st century stuff. There's like a couple years there around IVX where I'm not Mm -hmm. as well read as I could be. Uh, and I'm catching up now. But the other era of the X-Men I would say I'm like least well read on is like 96, 97, 98 So fair. That is so incredibly fair. And I knew that they were in turmoil because I think around that time I could find a lot of X-Men stuff at the Dollar Tree. Like the mm-hmm. actual mm-hmm. Dollar mm-hmm. Tree. The literal Dollar Tree. Yes, during that time. So For foreign like, listeners, that's a dollar store. It's a chain. Yes 
called the Dollar Tree. You can buy things for a dollar. They're literally a dollar. Yeah. They're a dollar. It's not five. It's not 10. It's just one dollar. Good times, too. I think I still some have some of those books. Oh, I love a Dollar Tree. I'm not, right? I'm not in any way knocking. Yeah, no, it's, tree. I mean, because you'll go in. <laughs> Because, like, I'll take my son in there and I'm just, like, go get all this stuff. And then, you know, you get rung out and it's, like, $32. Like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, that'll yeah. be $17. Like, great. Love that. Love yes. that for me. Yeah. <laughs> but the point is, is that there was a lot going on the next yes. week during that time. So, to be very well read during that time is just luck of the draw. And a lot of it is, like, particularly weird. It's, like, when yeah. X-Man is really kicking off. Yeah. It's the road trip era of X-Force, which I like now, but mm-hmm. was like so different from, I was like, what's even going on in that book? It's <laughs> when Excalibur has been completely retooled and they've like gotten rid of Rachel and Brian. And I'm like, I, you know, so. Why are we here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a weird time when like that book suddenly becomes about Wolfsbane and Moira. And I was like, just very confused <laughs> by it. <laughs> um, but I do think that the Siegel and Kelly stuff is interesting, particularly Kelly's work on adjectiveless, which is mostly where Cecilia is. She's on that team with Marrow and Maggot, who are all new characters at this moment that Lobdell had created. But Siegel and Kelly kept them and were like, these are the big new characters now because all three of them have pretty appealing personalities. Maggot is sort of infamous because... People thought his power was ridiculous or what, you know, he he was not, he's on a lot of listicles of like the stupidest X-Men. But the thing is, those listicles also always feature Cypher and Stacey X and both of those characters fucking whip. So there's no reason yeah. why Mag, I mean, he's in he his own solo Infinity comic right now that I'm really enjoying. I it's know, a lot of fun. right? Oh. Well, I was, uh, Who I was spoiled something that I wasn't supposed to. We'll talk off air about this, but um, <laughs> okay. yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's just really funny that some characters that were in obscurity or seemed as though they had no purpose now do, which I always kind of love. Well, especially if we're nostalgic for them now is the thing. Like, yeah. back in the day, Cecilia and Marrow and Maggot were like, who are these new characters? People wanted to read about the Jim Lee team. Except now, there's a whole generation of people our age who are like, I always liked Cecilia Reyes. What's she up to? And want to put her in a yeah. story. You know what I mean? Like, that is kind of the way we're like, we're seeing it with the Gen X kids. I mean, Sync mm-hmm. is one of the biggest characters in line now because Jonathan Hickman fucking loves Generation X. Yes. And that's because he was the right age to be, I mean, he is a Gen X writer. Like it's his yeah. gen. <laughs> it makes sense. So <laughs> there's something very cool about that. And I think that it's why it's been so gratifying to see a younger generation, particularly of diverse creators taking mm-hmm. the stage, diverse in all sorts of ways, queer creators, creators of color, creators who are yeah. queer creators of color. I mean, like, like whatever you want to, yes. however many boxes you want to, whatever. It's just been cool because I think that we all get, di- like what each of us is nostalgic for is going to be different. Exactly. And I think that is what's going to bring more of particularly the characters of color or the queer characters or other characters that minority readers saw themselves in, what's going to make them more prominent is often going to be letting the people for whom those characters were personally important get a chance to do something with the character. Exactly. I mean, how many black people had written Nubia before you had? I can't 
think of there had only been LL McKinney and that had been LL McKinney and, and then it, a, right like I you know I meant it like in the monthlies but no but that's yeah that's it yeah and now you yeah. see like they're you know don't hold on to your obscure characters it'll build they'll they'll get their shine <laughs> if, if the right person is is called up because I mean and that's like for anything in comics like Certain characters are popular simply because either editorial loves them, the writer loves them. Someone loved them. Someone loved them. And that's why they're there. So um, anyway. To be very clear, because you know how discourse like can happen yeah, yeah, on yeah. Twitter with this. Like, yes, yes. To be very clear in terms of what I'm saying, that's not to say that I don't think people should be writing all different kinds of characters or that of you course. need to hire someone of a specific identity or whatever. No, right. Al Ewing's writing my favorite storm in a very, very long time right now. And that is a white man from England. But yeah, yeah. But giving different types of people a seat at the table is by nature going to bring these names up. You are going to yes. hear about Cecilia Reyes or Monica Rambeau or other black women characters more frequently, I would imagine, from black women comics fans than you are yeah. from anybody else because there aren't that many of them. I know every gay character that existed at Marvel when I was a kid reading these comics. I knew every yeah. single fucking one of them, even the ones who are very, very minor. Uh-huh. I mean, that's why there's that joke in Excalibur, in Teeny's Excalibur, where um, Cullen Bloodstone is like, oh, come on, Richter, there are like 10 gay superheroes. We all keep track of each other. Don't lie to me. <laughs> and I was like, that was me as a reader, though, like truly collecting. And there are a lot of those characters that I would love to do something with someday if I got a chance. So I just think it's yeah. cool to see people who might have had a different experience of nostalgia for this franchise get to pluck out the things that spoke to them. It's just really cool. Yeah, it is. Because like Cecilia, when like the first time I saw her, I was like, well, I'm holding in on this because we don't really get too many prom. Well, not even, I want to say prominent at this time, but like recognizable, clear powered black women. Like we just, yeah, it wasn't a lot of that. And then also the fact that she struggled with her mutant identity and then like, <laughs> and not necessarily like who she was as an Afro-Latina woman, but that's always interesting to me for mutants when they have a chance to, or writers write them where you're seeing like, hey, this person who would deal with oppression in another way is now doling this out or trying to hide away or like, like for her, like she just didn't want anybody to know that she was a mutant. It's just like, ooh, but lessons you will learn. And she did learn them. Yeah. But I thought it was a great exploration in that, right? She's a very appealing point of view character in part because she learns so much over the course yeah. of these stories and changes a lot, but mm -hmm. also starts out as someone you can root for. Even when she is like being mean to Bobby in this yeah. issue, it's so funny that you don't really care. Like, no, also Bobby. You like know, dunking sometimes. on Bobby is funny. It just is. Yeah. It just is. Because it's it's Bobby Drake. I love him. But it's Bobby Drake. Like, like you gotta dunk on Bobby sometimes. Yeah. I think that's He's just Ice natural. <laughs> it's Iceman. <laughs> so. I love you, Bobby Drake. <laughs> oh, he's he's doing great. He's definitely doing great. So there's a weird bit where he and Cecilia go and hide out at Warren's apartment and Charlotte Jones saves them. Yes. Charlotte Jones, another black woman character in the X-Men franchise, Warren's ex-girlfriend who was written out in the early 90s, was introduced in late stage 80s X-Factor, uh, is a police detective. She's a really interesting character who oh, I would man. love to see now. I'm bringing her back. I was saying make her the commissioner of the NYPD, like right now. I would bring her back 
I would try to figure out that thing with her and Warren Worthington, like a, a fling weekend. So here's my pitch real quick. And no one listens to this seriously because I'm just bullshitting. But I love romance novels down. One of my favorite <laughs> tropes is, um, <laughs> one of my favorite tropes is like, I don't know, like the exes you never really got over coming back into your life in some weird way. And now you guys are working closely together again and then you fall in love and then epilogue, you're you're married or whatever. I would I would do that. Just give me six issues. Whoever after can like break them up. I don't care. But like just give me six issues to work with them. It's just so funny. I'm dying to write the Warren and Candy Southern story. So then you can, okay, so then you take I over get it, after. completely. I'm yes. with you 100%. <laughs> yeah, and we can, and then it can be like, okay, I've resolved things with Charlotte. Now we have to resurrect Candy and I have to deal with that. Like, or whatever, yes. you know, because here's the thing about Warren. He is a romance novel hero. Like, he is yes. the billionaire heir. He's gorgeous. He looks like Tab Hunter. And he's got wings. And he's publicly a mutant. And it's all this drama. It's very, like... Fifty Shades or like any of those like billionaire romances where it's like oh or or like one of the royal romances where it's like oh no I've been photographed with the prince like you know yes it's such a thing in the genre that would be so much fun so whoever's listening (laughs) tap us yeah 12 12 issue thing yeah just let let us know but I love a romance comic But back to Miss Cecilia. The point is, it turns out that Bastion is holding Charlotte's son hostage. So she's actually working for Bastion, who's the evil Sentinel guy. Don't worry about Bastion. Someday I am going to have to do like a Nimrod and Bastion and Master Mold episode that covers all three of them. And I'm going to, it's going to, it's going to be bad. It's going to be a bad time for me, (laughs) but it it is something that I have in my spreadsheet because I know someday I'm going to have to do it. And that's, I will lift you up in queer spirits because good luck. Thank you. Thank you. That's going to be rough. I, I don't need to read all the Bastion content, but I will. <laughs> and that is the Cerebro guarantee. <laughs> so, the, uh, the, so, so anyway, Charlotte betrays them to Bastion, but then she feels really guilty about it and she comes and helps out. Cecilia and Charlotte kind of bond. Cecilia gets to show off that she's a good doctor, which is handy because Charlotte gets shot rescuing them. This was a fun arc. I had forgotten that, like, I had forgotten Charlotte Jones was even in this. It's a nice surprise. I haven't read Operation Zero Tolerance in so long, you know, that I was just like, I completely forgot that Charlotte's in this at all. And I feel like what happens just after this isn't doesn't Cecilia have to save Scott? I know I'm skipping ahead, but that was another nice surprise. That's when Marrow, that's when Marrow and Sabra show up. Ah, yes. Okay. Cecilia and Marrow and Sabra are like three of the bluntest characters you could maybe get in a room together. sitcom material. That's three ladies who are going to tell you exactly what's on their mind. And Sabra and Marrow are not very nice. So it's kind of just a three-way catfight. Yeah. But it's like, it's like a butch catfight. Because like Marrow and Sabra are both like pretty butch characters. (laughs) So it's it's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, no offense by I'm this, like, but it's like not the right word, you know. No, but it's like um, like three alley cats who have been aware, been around. They've been surviving, right? And they finally get to scrap. And- it's catty, like a yowling, like serious yeah. cat, not like a mirror, you know, no. in, in the way that we say cat fight. <laughs> like someone is going to the to the animal hospital at some point. All three of them probably. Saber gets a tip from the Mossad that uh, takes them to Connecticut, <laughs> where Bastion is. Hold, we're not. This is not a Saber 
Sabra episode. I don't have to. But of course, it's it's Connecticut. I've told myself that Sabra is an Incredible Hulk character because she technically debuted in the Incredible Hulk. Because I okay. simply That's do fair. not want to do an episode on Sabra. That's fair. Because I just don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to deal with all that. I don't need to. That's a character I fully could just never see again. And I would be <laughs> like, you know, maybe 30 years from now, if like some socio-political stuff has changed, we could have an Israeli flag suit back. But every oh, time she God. walks on stage, you're just like, there's a lot going on with this specific. That's just, that's a lot to put on a comic book character. It is. That's, I don't know. Like, it's always interesting what characters are created during a, a, a whatever the U.S. is not minding its business. Mm-hmm. Like, what characters come out of that? Yeah. And she is definitely one of them. And it's like, ooh. Well, because it's an American idea of what an Israeli Captain America would be. And so it's like a tough Krav Maga female soldier from the Mossad. Sure and it's very... The sad thing is, like, she's an interesting character. I just feel she like is. it's such a minefield to write anything you know, Spencer Ackerman will write the Sabra miniseries that wins the Eisner. And that's a free idea, Marvel, if you're listening. Just hire Spencer, who is literally a Pulitzer Prize-winning national security reporter who's a Jew who's critical of Zionism. It would be an interesting book. I'm just saying. There you go. He's writing an Amanda Waller book for DC right now. That's like basically... Yeah, with Evan Narcissus. I love that. It's like all my yeah. super friends are getting cool gigs. Anyway, so Sabra's there. We now never have to talk about Sabra again for the rest yes. of this episode. Thank God. Baruch Hashem, one might say. <laughs> I would, anyway. Baruch Hashem to that. So that's when the event ends. Basically, the shield shows up in Connecticut and uh, everything is fine. It's kind of a, an anticlimactic ending, I felt. It ends like, I don't know why I want to say it ends like damages because I've never watched it before, but some something in me tells me that it ends like damages. <laughs> My understanding of damages is that it's a lot of Glenn Close going like this. That's what I've heard. <laughs> I'm making specific. I could be right. Patty from Damages faces. I haven't seen <laughs> for a white homosexual of a certain age. I've seen shockingly few episodes of Damages. So at some I'm point, I probably very should surprised. Yeah. catch up. Yeah. Well, I feel like it, I don't think I had. Wasn't it on Showtime? I think we like didn't have the channel. Whatever. It I was think so. It wasn't an ABC situation. No, no, no. It was something. No, else it was. It was like was a. Weird. It was a prestige thing because they won yeah. like a million Emmys. It was like her and Rose Byrne. Like trying to kill each other corporately. I honestly have seen like yes. one episode of it, but I don't really remember what it was about. <laughs> I just remember <laughs> lots of pictures of Glenn Close smiling like a demon. Glenn Close, by the way, lives in the town where I grew up, 20 minutes from Salem Center. So she is local to the X Men and uh, frankly would be great as any number of characters in this film. I was going to say, hey, MCU, we need to figure that out. <laughs> Call of Glenn Close. <laughs> I have my specific like Jewish destiny headcanon, but Glenn Close would be a pretty killer destiny if you're casting a goyish destiny. I'm just you saying, know, I would, would pretty, not argue with that. would be pretty freaking good. So. I would not be mad about that, honestly. Anyway, off topic. Point is, that's what Siegel and Kelly take over. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, that is when the big resolution of the, the big follow-up, like, uh-oh, is that Cyclops has had a bomb implanted in him by Bastion, and they need to cut it out surgically. And this issue I bought off a spinner rack in, like, a diner the year that it came out. Like, I was a kid. I remember reading this issue. And that's part of, I think, why, like, because when we were out, 
I, I didn't really read the 90s comics month to month as they were coming out, but if I was out with my parents and my siblings, like they would let me buy a comic or like two comics okay. or whatever because they were still pretty cheap back then and they were everywhere. They were like at the pharmacy, they were at the restaurant, yeah. they were like, they were around. And so this was one I definitely had. Like I hadn't read Operation Zero Tolerance, but I had this specific issue where Cecilia saves his life. Juggernaut attacks the mansion in the middle while she's trying to like <laughs> Which- move the bomb. <laughs> Which, I mean, of course, right? Like, how do we make this infinitely more difficult? What's Juggernaut doing? Oh, yeah, let's have him destroy the mansion for, like, the umpteenth time. I love this issue. This is X-Men Volume 270 for people who haven't read it. I love this issue in part because I'm now realizing it's the same structure as the 80s issue, the Claremont and Davis issue, where Betsy, at the end of the Mutant Massacre, it's the end of a big event, the new character, who is a woman who can't really fight, is thrown into a situation where a really dangerous enemy attacks the mansion, and their personal skill set is the only thing that can save everybody. Yes. In Betsy's case, it's her telepathy and her, like, spy quick thinking or whatever. In Celia's case, is that she is a trained surgeon and can do this stuff. What's interesting is that they end the same way, but with a critical difference. Like it's the same kind of resolution, which is one of the most prominent X-Men, in Betsy's case, it's Wolverine, is like, I think we should let her join the X-Men. And in this case, it's Cyclops, who's like, welcome to the X-Men, Dr. Reyes. And whereas Betsy is like, oh my God, I already prepared a pink silk chiffon costume to wear because I was hoping (laughs) you would ask that. Cecilia's like, no, thank you. I would like to go home. (laughs) I think that's really good. Because we're trained to expect, like, Betsy's isn't the only one. It's just the one that's my favorite. But there are a couple issues like that where it's like, this person gets kind of jumped into the (laughs) X-Men. Like, it's like, oh, okay, great. Suddenly you're in the middle of a fucking fight to the death. And at the end, your reward is you perform so well that you get to join the X-Men. And do this all the time. Yeah. I don't want to do this again. That's a terrible plan. (laughs) I would like to say no. Thank you to that. But she's not sure what to do because she doesn't think she can go back to her job. She doesn't really want to go back home. She's nervous, like, because she's sure that word has gotten all around town about what happened at the hospital. So she kind of hangs out and is rude and mean kind of to everybody, except she's very charmed by the bouncing beast, Henry McCoy, And they start flirting, sort of, like, at first she doesn't mean to, but it's like a wordplay moment. She misspeaks. She means to say, I'd like to examine it with you. They're talking about, like, a marrow, one of Mm -hmm. marrow's, like, bone shavings. And she says, I'd like to examine you with it later. And he looks at her like, wow. And he goes, why, doctor, how forward of you? And she's like... Uh, uh, that's not, that's what I, and she corrects herself, but it's clear that it's a Freudian slip and they will be a pretty key romance plot for the rest of the 90s, which is something that I think gets forgotten. It's interesting, like now she is with him in every issue of X-Force. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Ben Percy's forgotten it. I'm just saying like, I think fans don't remember this. Cecilia and Beast were like, end game in the night like to the like because claremont really here's the thing that is important is like once siegel and kelly are off chris claremont really loves cecilia reyes cecilia and bishop are the two characters he did not create that he is fully obsessed with he will use them whenever and part of it is Mm -hmm. that he clearly really liked 
her relationship with Hank because in X-Men The End, they are married with children. He does a bunch of... He, it's, it's just like he loves the Bishop and Deathbird thing too. Yeah. That was happening around this time. He like he created that Alia Bishop character who's their child in that one timeline. Like he he clearly was into these couples and kept kind of bringing them back. But yeah, so Hank goes off to go back in the background and cure the legacy virus some more. That's just sort of left to simmer. What did you think of the Cecilia and Hank romance back then? Well, back then it was like, what the hell is going on? But now going back. <laughs> looking back <laughs> on it, I mean, like at that time, looking not when you were a child. Now, no. Yeah. <laughs> but like looking back on it now, I thought it was really interesting because they are kind of the same in like their, you know, to be a mutant or not to be a mutant or whatever, like in their acceptance of that. And I felt like they, I don't know, like it made sense. Like the same way that Storm and Wolverine kind of makes sense uh, because they can relate to each other or at least Logan does a really great job of relating to uh, Storm. I felt the same way for Cecilia and Hank in that way. Also, they're both doctors. If you're a fan of Grey's Anatomy, I, I tapped out after two seasons. But you want to see doctors hook up. Well, that's part of it, I think, that was appealing probably to Claremont is that she's like an intellectual peer to Hank, which means that they can banter in that. It's like... A problem that Hank has in romance plots historically is that he often comes across as very patronizing or condescending to the woman because yes. he's that way to everybody. Yeah. And he's not really that way to Cecilia because he respects her as a colleague. So there is kind of an, an egalitarian nature to their dynamic that's fun, I think. Oh, now I want to see Dr. <laughs> Dr. Reyes and Dr. Hank. Again, another six issue, maybe eight um <laughs> that one might need to be 10 because you'd have to jump You're right, between the 10. past and the present because you'd have to be oh like and God, now yes. he's a war criminal and she's conflicted about it because she works for him and like it would be very you'd have to do like the two timelines right i would absolutely it would be like the last that. five years but with <laughs> yeah. the henry kissinger as jamie oh my god yes but just like them doing doctor stuff or whatever or like Maybe we we time jump it or whatever. They've been married for a while. They've lost some of that spark and they got to rekindle it. And they have to go do some stint somewhere and work together. And they're bickering back and forth. He is being condescending, but she is also giving it back to him just as good as he can give it. And then by the end, like they fall, you know, madly back in love and they go back home to Krakoa. So Marvel. I, I would read that. <laughs> Right? I mean, Marvel, if you're listening, is a theme of this podcast because, quite honestly, Marvel, if you're listening, just like feel free, reach out. We're here. Right. We're always here. You know how to reach both of us. So, yes. You know. <laughs> but she tries to go back to work. Like, she, she makes right. it. Eventually, she's like, I got to try to, it's my dream. She goes back and convinces her boss to let her back. He's like, You know, this isn't going to. Be good. But before she gets there, um, you have an interaction between her and Storm that is always really funny because Storm is kind of like, okay, honey, if that's what you think, your bed or no, your whatever. She was like sleeping on the floor, like your cot will be like waiting for you when you get back. <laughs> She's like, I'm not coming back. And Storm is like, okay, we'll see. She goes off and she, she convinces her, her boss to give her a job back. And she has one hell of a day at work. She sure does. And like Daredevil is like looking, <laughs> so Daredevil is the fly on the wall this entire episode, 
or issue, I should say, which is funny because he got shot and he's like wondering, hmm, should I have her like help me if she is she someone I can go to? And after he watches her save Pyro. Yeah, it's not unlike the night nurse, the Rosario Dawson night nurse character. I keep thinking that whenever she would turn up in the Netflix shows, like I know it's Claire Temple, but it also feels very Cecilia. It feels very like we don't have the rights to Cecilia Reyes because she's an X-Men character is how it felt to me. Because then they tried to have Rosaria Dawson play Cecilia Reyes in that New Mutants movie, which we'll get there. Don't worry. There's questions about it. Yeah. What a a, a thing. What a thing that film is. But, you know, it's just that felt very overtly, clearly Cecilia Reyes to me. Yes. Because that's what she does in X-Men comics is she pops up at someone's apartment when they have like a bullet in them and takes it out. Yeah. So, and and, but in this case, like Matt Murdock comes to her to have that done. It's like, you had to wait this entire time for her to operate on everyone else before you said, I am in enough pain. I trust you enough. But that's Matt. So That's called Catholicism is what that is. That you're right. But it's a, like it's a, it's a powerful display of her power. Oh, yeah. You get to see like how this is helpful, right? Her doctoring and then also keeping herself from getting burned by um, Pyro, which I thought was just a really excellent use of her powers. And then also like this yes. other thing that she's good at. Yeah, exactly. Because it's like she has really great PPE in mm-hmm. the hospital. Like oh, she can create her own protective stuff it enables her to be a better doctor. Her mutation and skills that she's learned as just a person are working in concert together, which I think is really cool. It's like Dazzler that way, where it's like Dazzler's power accentuates her art, right? Like it's, it's a similar vibe. The bad day that she has before that is another one where like, this feels very metaphorically strong, right? Which is she is trying to help a patient and is about to enter the surgical theater and the family requests a change of doctor because they find out that Cecilia is a mutant. This reflects very real life. The experience of a lot of real minority medical professionals. I mean, there's a ton of racism in the medical profession, both from medical professionals and from patients to doctors in a way that is always a complicated dynamic, but also this made me think because the legacy virus plot is still going on, right? Like this yep. very much has a like gay doctors mm-hmm. will have AIDS and should not be in the hospital vibe. Yep. And again, with like the whole, she's just been outed thing. This to me, like the Reyes story is one of the more effective uses of the mutants as queer people metaphor. That's mm-hmm. pretty strong in the nineties in particular, by which I mean like pretty strong in emphasis, not necessarily done well, but it's there. And I think this is one of the better ways they do it. Cause that's the moment where she's like, Oh, even if I can talk my way back into my job, because I'm good at my job, if the patients won't let me help them, then what am I supposed to do? Mm -hmm. And that is a really awful existential question. It's her being forced to, really look at what she had been compromising by keeping that secret. Like if these people had known this about you, they would have treated you this way all along. What were you giving up by hiding, by making yourself small, by 
joining in in the bigoted comments they were making. Yeah. It's just, there's a lot of really cool stuff with this character, even in these early stories before she's actually part of the X-Men. She's just around <laughs> right? for a while, which is the fun <laughs> thing. Because she's like, no, I'm not going to join. I refuse. Oh, she comes home. And like Storm is like waiting outside for her, and she's like, "I'm pleased that you have chosen to remain with us, Cecilia." And she's like, "Uh, slow down. I'm here, but like, you know, slow down, Storm. Another black woman is not joining the house for certain for a long time yet. So like, let's pump the like, brakes here." Yeah, but it's like Pyro escaped in a fire explosion, and I got fired. Actually, at the end, it's like <laughs> yeah. it's the worst day ever. She's like, "I'm just, I'm back. Sorry, I'm back again." And then there's a cool story in issue 73 where Marrow, who is taking care of Callisto, her foster mother, in the tunnels, the Morlock tunnels, because Callisto is dying for reasons. I don't go back to the Callisto episode. Uh, this plot never really goes anywhere that interesting. But Marrow's trying to figure out how to help her and steals Cecilia's medical supplies, like steals her mm-hmm. bag with all of her stuff in it and takes it down to the tunnels. Cecilia is really pissed and during the ensuing argument she uses her force field in an offensive way suddenly like which she didn't know she could do she uses it like to strike which is the first big expansion of her power which was pretty cool because it's like okay uh, because I mean her powers being defensive that's great but as far as comics go what else can you do with that character if it's just that so to see her being able to use it in an offensive way I was like okay so like she'll probably be around for a little while and she was sort of so yeah this is now a viable superhero character right like this is someone who could go into the field and do things so that was a smart change to her power set then you have that story with the demons this is a weird one yeah, is it that with the Neos or whoever they are? This is even before the Neo, and quite honestly, we're gonna start we're gonna start bouncing ahead because some of this is yeah, just not we can, This is the one where she wears that extra costume wasp? with the wasp pad yes. lying around and she hates it. <laughs> That's funny. But otherwise it's not as super. Oh, it's with the Nagari, um, who popped up long ago it's not even the ungarai that's the thing it's like the rutai demons I mean, it's like off-brand oh, ungarai. Off. Oh, i thought it was the ungarai and then i went back and looked at the issue and they're called something else i was like now i care even less <laughs> not ideal marvel was like we got a bunch of gleep glops whatever you want to pick from mm-hmm. do that there's cecilia teaming up with nightcrawler right yes 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 After a couple series that you don't really have to worry about, but where she is now like officially dating Beast. So that's like the big development. First, there's that unlimited story where she like helps Wolverine with like a Yakuza thing and faces the Silver Samurai for a second. I'm just like, it was a random, it's, I forget, I think it's Joe Pruitt wrote it. Unlimited is so weird because it's always like these stories are theoretically canon, but like where do they fit in the chronology? of the ongoing and it's always like very mystifying to me but then yeah she disappears for a little bit circa the whole 12 era with alan davis and that stuff and then when claremont returns for the revolution she pops up and is a major character in x-men 100 where she and nightcrawler end fighting the neo do not worry about the neo we're just here for nightcrawler and cecilia you know teaming up because it's nightcrawler the neo 
to boil it down, are the Araki, but not as cool. Yes. It's the same basic premise. They're like an older strain of mutants from long ago who have a warrior culture. They were Claremont's big, like, new threat, and they just don't especially work, and they've never come back, and you don't have to worry about them. But the big thing here is that one of them, Jaeger, or Jaeger, ends up fighting them and is going to kill Nightcrawler, and Cecilia flips out and doesn't just strike with her force field. She skewers him, like, through the middle and kills him. Yeah. And that really messes with her, too, right? Because she's a doctor. Because so she's a doctor. She's sworn never to hurt thing. people. Right. So that's an extra complication, which I did appreciate, though, to have her deal with those feelings now, because there's the other thing. If you become a superhero, there's a good chance that you might accidentally kill somebody. That on purpose. Yes. Um, And that happens. I love that Chris Claremont, when he, like, the first time he gets to write this character is like, and she'll get a power-up that lets her stab people with her psychic powers. <laughs> like, he loves that. He really, he really, truly yes, does. does. But the key thing here, by the way, is that all of this happens at a private practice clinic that she's opened in Brooklyn because she's not with the X-Men. Like, it's because she just disappears is the thing. Like, after the Siegel yeah. Kelly era is over, she's just pretty much gone there's like an annual where she and Beast go on like a double date, not by on purpose, but it's like a Fantastic Four crossover that Joe Casey wrote. And otherwise, she's pretty much just gone. Yeah. Claremont immediately brings her back for his big 100 issue. As that story goes on, she is, as you were saying, Steph, really perturbed by the fact that she's killed somebody. Oh, and then that's when Charlotte Jones comes back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because Claremont also must have had um, <laughs> had her on his little list. And he was like, was, yeah, bring them all She's back. a Louise Simonson character. And he was yeah. like, yep, we're bringing her back in too. But it's nice because she and Cecilia know each other already because I of know. that previous arc back in Zero Tolerance. So it works well. But the deal here is that Charlotte has been like, we are venomed with this bad guy called Delgado, who's like a shapeshifter or a parasite or something it's very complicated the big thing here is that delgado <laughs> has been dealing a drug called rave it's sort of a precursor to kick from the morrison stuff yes. or to mutant growth hormone like we've seen this kind of plot a couple times but it's specifically a highly addictive drug that boosts mutant powers beyond their normal capacity mm-hmm before, like, Charlotte and Delgado merge into a monster, I think one of the Neo does it? Like, yes. Full Metal Alchemist them into, like, a dog girl? It's looking real wild, because I'm looking at it right now, and it's giving me um, <laughs> <laughs> Devil May Cry. We're talking about Cronenberg, you know what I mean? Like, yes. Yeah, no, it's... It's very mm-hmm. much the fly, all of that. Yeah. It's a hell of a situation, and actually, she has to turn to using that drug. That's the thing. So Cecilia has run after Charlotte to try and save her, and Nightcrawler had to leave Cecilia behind. Cecilia ends up, like, trapped inside the Neo's labyrinthine maze for, like, a month, like, weeks. Like, a long time goes by. The only way that she is able to avoid both the monster, the, like, the creature, because Delgado takes, like, control of the merged being. Basically, Charlotte's just basically trapped in it. She's fighting that thing off, but also Domina, the leader of the Neo, because this is a Chris Claremont comic, 
turns out was Jaeger's wife, and she's really specifically pissed at Cecilia Reyes. So it's a bad situation, and Cecilia becomes completely addicted to the drug because the only way she can keep herself alive is by boosting her powers. But I mean, she here's the thing. She has like no formal training, basically, right? Because she kept refusing mm -hmm. to be an X-Man. So she hasn't been doing danger room exercises. She hasn't been taking classes with Charles. She hasn't been doing that stuff because she's like, no. Yeah. And now she's in a situation where she's like, okay, well, to compensate for that, I guess I have to do all of this mutant smack and by the time the X-Men find her and rescue her and Charlotte, uh, it's bad. It's, it's it, not it's, great. <laughs> it's not. And so then in comes Charles and he has to, through his telepathy, help her beat her addiction. And this is how Charles gets you. Because mm -hmm. if you do not join the X-Men when he asks you to, there's a likelihood that you will probably get addicted to some type of mutant drug. And then he will then say, hey. It's like Scientology. He's, it's, There's all those celebrities who are like, Scientology got me clean. I will never leave the church. It's like, yeah, well, <laughs> I get it. I get that. Yes. And this is how Charles, you know, at the very end of the day, Charles Xavier is going to get, he's going to get his mutant. Yes. Don't know how, but it, it's going to happen. He's going to catch them all. He, <laughs> not the Pokemon. Not he the now mutant. has. Like his fuck, he's now Professor X on fucking Krakoa with a full Pokedex of every yes. fucking mutant. He did it, Joe. Like, he's got every fucking but mutant there is. <laughs> but it's definitely giving Team Rocket more so than Ash Ketchum. I just want to clarify Oh, that. yeah, no. He's not, he doesn't, he's not, like, he's blasted off again, like, ten times. But he always comes back to life. Because they just keep I just back. really love when he runs off with his uh, space girlfriend. Mm-hmm. To go on, like, a space cruise. And just yeah, like, well, I'll see you a little bit. I miss her. She's been dead for so long now. I know, There's got to be like back. she's got a hatch out of an egg somewhere, Something. right? I I don't know. Alf Marvel, if you're listening, I like their daughter is like a cool character. Me but, too. But I would like Lilandra to just like be awoken by a phoenix egg or something. Something. We'll we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Like the Macron yeah. crystal is vibrating at a certain frequency. <laughs> or, you know, something something stupid. <laughs> but at the event, so like this is why you don't do drugs because yes, because that that's how Charles gets you. Because Charles is now your rave anonymous sponsor, and mm -hmm. he now will lord that over you for the rest of your life, and you will there feel you indebted go. to him. That's when Claremont leaves Uncanny again. In issue 390, which is the big conclusion of Dream's End, yes. Moira has just been killed on Muir Island. This story is by Scott Lobdell, who writes Cecilia as the only person in the mansion who realizes what Colossus is planning to do. Beast has synthesized, based on Moira's final notes, the cure for the legacy virus, but the only way it can be transmitted into the atmosphere and work, this is a very sci-fi understanding of a vaccine. It's a super science vaccine that's magic, so don't worry about it. But basically, a mutant has to inject themselves, go fully into like legacy overload, die nearly instantly and then the energy the, like the mutant energy released from them into the atmosphere will cure legacy virus worldwide okay sure how final fantasy it's so it's very anime right like sailor moon needs to find the pure hearts and all the talismans need yeah. to come together and then you'll have a holy grail and then you'll cry a tear that will shatter the you know it's very yeah. that except much sadder than that because it's like not happy <laughs> 
depressing, really. But everybody's like, well, if that's the only way to do it, then I guess we're not going to do it. We'll have to find some other way or something. Cecilia realizes that Colossus is, like, not right. Like, something is off with him. She goes up to him, and he explains what happened to his sister, Ilyana, and how his greatest shame is that he wasn't there when she died, and he blames himself for bringing her into this X-Men world at all, and all of that stuff. And Cecilia immediately is like, oh, he's about to do it, because she has a street smarts and, like, an understanding of patient care. Yeah. That a lot of the, like she's been through medical school. She did like psych rotations. She's like, this person is about to kill himself. Like she gets it really, really quickly. And he knocks her out. He like gasses her, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. (laughs) It's like, okay, Colossus, all right. (laughs) Well, all right, Peter, whatever you gotta do. (laughs) She passes out because he like tear gasses her. And I guess it's like a knockout grenade or something. (laughs) when she wakes up he is already on the floor having done it and he's dying and she still after he gassed her and knocked her on her ass because she's a fucking doctor gets over to him and starts trying to stabilize him but it's not possible and he dies then she completely disappears from the narrative without any explanation no only to turn up in frank thierry's weapon x so before we get to that, yeah. I think now is a great time for the streamer character file on Cecilia Reyes. I will go into more detail on how all of these plots fit together because we're mostly just going like, remember when this crazy thing happened? But I'll give you the whole narrative from her first appearance in X-Men 65 up through her most recent appearances in Ben Percy and Joshua Casares' X-Force. Then we will come back for more with Steph Williams. We'll talk a bit about Cecilia's 21st century stories, and then we will get to questions from listeners like you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. X-Men, X-Men. Dr. Cecilia Reyes is an enduring X-Men supporting character who has never quite reached the A-list. Created by Scott Lubdell and Carlos Pacheco, Cecilia is a young Afro-Puerto Rican medical doctor who spent her life in New York City hiding her mutant power and has no interest in being a superhero. She joined the X-Men in the short-lived Siegel and Kelly period, but has mostly been relegated to a supporting role in the franchise. These days, she operates as the primary medical expert on Krakoa. We first meet Cecilia in 1997's X-Men 65, part of the franchise-wide event Operation Zero Tolerance. 25 years old and fresh out of medical school, she's doing her best to keep a low profile as a closeted mutant while completing her residency at Our Mother of Mercy, a hospital in the Bronx. Cecilia pretends to agree with her human co-workers who approve of Operation Zero Tolerance, a new initiative by the U.S. government to round up and imprison mutants following the onslaught crisis, in which almost all the world's non-mutant superheroes disappeared. Cecilia is upset when she fails to save the life of a gunshot victim, only to be shocked when he transforms into a prime sentinel, exposing her as a mutant to the entire hospital. Her cyoplasmic force field and automatic defensive power is able to protect her until salvation arrives in the form of Iceman. Iceman expects the young doctor will be grateful, but she is not. Charles Xavier promised her three years earlier that he would leave her alone after she declined to join the X-Men. With no options after being outed, she demands Iceman tell her his real name. Bobby Drake, and then agrees to go with him as the Prime Sentinels continue their assault on mutant kind. Cecilia explains to Bobby that she was born into poverty, and her father was killed by gun violence when she was six years old. Cecilia watched him bleed out, and this is what motivated her to become a doctor. But now, with her status as a mutant exposed, that dream is dead. 
They're aided by Detective Charlotte Jones of the NYPD, human ex-girlfriend of the X-Man Angel. But Charlotte turns out to be working for Operation Zero Tolerance's director, Bastion, because he has kidnapped her son. Charlotte, racked with guilt, eventually betrays Bastion and is badly wounded. But Cecilia is able to save her. Bobby and Cecilia team up with two other mutants, Marrow, a former member of the terrorist group Gene Nation, and Sabra, a representative of the Israeli government. They're able to track down Bastion, but it becomes a moot point. The government has revoked Zero Tolerance's authorization, and S.H.I.E.L.D. reinforcements are able to put a stop to things. The franchise flagship titles are then taken over by writing partners Steve Siegel and Joe Kelly, with Kelly taking primary custody of Cecilia in the adjectiveless X-Men title. Cecilia and Marrow follow Bobby to the X-Mansion, where they find to their distress that Bastion and his men had stripped it bare. When the X-Men arrive, it's in crisis mode. Cyclops has had a bomb implanted in his abdomen by Bastion. Cecilia is able to perform impromptu surgery to successfully remove the bomb, as the team fights off an attack by the Juggernaut. Cyclops then invites Cecilia to join the X-Men, but she declines. While she's standoffish with the residents of Xavier's, Cecilia finds herself flirting with Dr. Hank McCoy, aka Beast, who is researching a cure for the legacy virus. Eventually, Cecilia decides to face the music and return to the hospital, where she convinces her boss to give her another shot despite her outing as a mutant. Bigotry from patients and coworkers, however, makes it clear she isn't going to be able to do her job. The superhero Daredevil comes to her in secret for help with an injury, and tries to convince her that she could do more good with the X-Men. Not long afterward, the mutant supervillain Pyro is a patient at Our Mother of Mercy, and Cecilia accidentally allows him to escape. This gets her fired for good from her job at the hospital, and she decides to return to Xavier's. Cecilia learns how to use her force field to strike offensively when fellow new X-Men recruit Marrow steals her medical bag in an effort to help her wounded foster mother, Callisto. Cecilia begins to feel like a real member of the team after she helps save the X-Men from a race of demons called the Rutai. Not long after this, in the event called Psywar, the Shadow King attempts to corrupt Cecilia by promising her the career she had always wanted. While she resists, she's ashamed that she was tempted to give in to him. In the 1998 Uncanny X and Fantastic Four Annual by Joe Casey, Paul Pelletier, and Leo Fernandez, Cecilia and Hank go on a date to the opera, where the audience is attacked by the hypnotic villain Psycho Man. His devices drive Cecilia into a violent, self-loathing rage, but Sue Storm and Reed Richards of the Fantastic Four, also at the opera on a date night, help Hank defeat the villain. Cecilia feels violated, but Sue, who has a long history with Psycho Man, but this is not a Fantastic Four podcast, is able to reassure her that it wasn't her fault. Shortly after this story, editorial began interfering more directly with Siegel and Kelly's plans for the X-Men. Excalibur was cancelled, and Siegel and Kelly were instructed to integrate the most popular characters from that book, Shadowcat, Nightcrawler, and Colossus, back into the X-Men. This had the effect of pushing out some of the new characters, including Cecilia. In Uncanny X-Men 360, she decides to leave the mansion and open a private practice in Salem Center, though she makes herself available for medical emergencies. The following year, in an X-Men Unlimited story written by Joe Pruitt, she helps Wolverine fight the Silver Samurai. She returns a year later in 2000 for the Claremont Revolution, in which Chris Claremont made a much vaunted return to the title he'd made famous. Claremont had grown fond of a few characters who'd been introduced after his departure, particularly Bishop and Cecilia Reyes, and incorporated them into his storylines. In X-Men 100, after the in-universe six-month gap, we see that Cecilia's relocated her private practice to Brooklyn, where she's approached by a desperate nightcrawler who's on the run from the Neo. Do not worry about the Neo. They're ancient warrior mutants. Big Dwy. Kurt and Cecilia are attacked at the clinic by Jaeger, one of the Neo, and Kurt is too weakened to fight back. Cecilia is so determined to protect him that she ends up using her force field more aggressively than ever, eventually lashing out with an energy spike that kills Jaeger where he stands. This leaves Cecilia devastated, as she swore as a doctor to do no harm. Kurt tries to convince her that she should return to the X-Men to get better control over her power. 
They're interrupted by a firefight between Charlotte Jones, the detective, remember her, and a drug dealer named Rufus Delgado, who's been pushing the highly addicted narcotic Rave, which boosts mutant powers beyond their normal levels. When the Neo attack again, Cecilia decides to use some of the discarded vials Delgado left behind, making herself more powerful than ever before, and able to defend herself and Kurt until reinforcements can arrive. The X-Men manage to defeat the Neo, but Cecilia runs off when she realizes Charlotte has disappeared, insisting on searching for the detective. Four issues later, we learn Cecilia spent weeks trapped inside the Neo's headquarters, fighting off a creature somehow forged from the merged bodies and souls of Delgado and Charlotte. She's been using Rave to keep herself alive, and by the time the X-Men rescue her and free Charlotte from the strange gestalt, Cecilia's in heavy withdrawal from the drug. The X-Men bring Cecilia back to the mansion, where Charles Xavier uses his telepathy to help her begin recovery from her Rave addiction. We finally see a flashback to Charles and Cecilia's first meeting years earlier, when he tried to recruit her to his school, and she refused. As the X-Men line begins to restructure again, Cecilia's co-creator Scott Lobdell returns to the book to tie up the storyline Dream's End. In Uncanny X-Men 390, still recovering from her rave ordeal at the mansion, Cecilia is the only person who realizes Colossus intends to kill himself in order to release the cure for the legacy virus into the atmosphere. She tries to stop him, but he knocks her out, and by the time she wakes up again, he's on the floor dying. Despite her best medical efforts, she is unable to stabilize him. After this event, the X-Men line relaunches into New X-Men, written by Grant Morrison, a new run on Uncanny X-Men, written by Joe Casey, and Extreme X-Men, written by Chris Claremont. Cecilia disappears from the narrative without explanation. She resurfaces two years later in Frank Thierry's Weapon X. Cecilia and her former Siegel and Kelly X-Men teammate Maggot both appear as prisoners at Neverland, a new concentration camp for mutants secretly maintained by the revived Weapon X project. Maggot is quickly executed, but Cecilia is kept alive so Weapon X can experiment on her. Cecilia uses her medical training to help the other victims of medical torture at the camp, but doesn't appear in the story again, and it's implied that she's killed alongside the rest when the entire Neverland camp is liquidated later in the run of Weapon X. Cecilia is not listed among the 198 mutants to retain their powers after the decimation in 2005. When Chris Claremont returns to Uncanny X-Men after House of M, he establishes that Cecilia's heretofore unseen brother, Colonel Miguel Reyes, works with the Office of National Emergency. He becomes part of Sentinel Squad 1. Six years after her last appearance in Weapon X, Cecilia returns without explanation, her mutant powers intact, in 2009's NYX No Way Home by Marjorie Liu and Kalman Andrasovsky. She's now operating a new clinic in Chinatown, and she helps the young mutant runaways of NYX when one of them needs stitches. When she calls Hank McCoy to see about getting more aid for these teenage mutants in need, the kids assume she's calling the police and run away. Cecilia then begins appearing in a background capacity in Matt Fraction's Uncanny X-Men and Jason Aaron's Wolverine, where she travels to the new mutant haven Utopia on the West Coast and helps the X-Men with medical emergencies on a few occasions. Notably, she resuscitates Magneto after he's nearly killed rescuing Kitty Pride from outer space, and she joins Betsy Braddock on a mission to Mexico City to recruit Velocidad, one of the Five Lights, the first mutants to manifest after the decimation. At the same time, probably due to behind-the-scenes miscommunication, Cecilia is also operating out of her clinic in Chinatown in Marjorie Liu's X-23 Ongoing, where she helps Laura Kinney and Gambit. When Laura stalks off in search of her old friend Kai Nixon, one of the characters from NYX, Cecilia and Remy pursue her, in the meanwhile rekindling a closer friendship. After the schism, in which the mutants are divided by loyalty to either Cyclops or Wolverine, Cecilia decides to go with Wolverine's faction as they create the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning on the old Xavier Mansion grounds in Westchester. In a new run on Astonishing X-Men, also written by Marjorie Liu, Cecilia refuses a formal job at the school, but helps out part-time and begins dating Remy. Despite her best efforts, she winds up dragged into X-Men business again, and ends up tagging along to help rescue Karma from her long-lost evil sister, Susan Hachi. 
When she's unable to save as many lives as she'd hoped, Cecilia regrets not training more with the X-Men over the years and the formal use of her powers. Cecilia begins serving with the team more frequently, while privately training to control her power better. By the close of the series, with issue 68, she and Remy officially become a couple. But they've broken up off-panel by the time she has her next major storyline in 2014. In X-Men Volume 4, at this point written by Mark Guggenheim, Cecilia is tapped by sword director Abigail Brand to help save the Shi'ar villainess Deathbird, who's been grievously injured. Cecilia is attacked and almost killed by a traitor within Sword, but she's able to use far more advanced control of her mutant power to keep both herself and a dying storm alive, holding them both together with dozens of microforce fields until they can be rescued by Jubilee. Running parallel to this story is Chris Claremont's 2014 Nightcrawler solo series, in which it seems Cecilia has finally agreed to become the doctor-in-residence at the Jean Grey School for Higher Learning. She consults Wolverine on his failing healing factor and defends students with her force field when the school is attacked. Cecilia continues to serve as the school's doctor through the run of X-Men Gold by Mark Guggenheim. She then recurs in Ed Brisson's maxi-series Dead Man Logan about the death of Old Man Logan. Don't worry about that right now. I'll get to it someday in an Old Man Logan episode. In the 2019 soft reboot House of X and Powers of Ten by writer Jonathan Hickman, Cecilia is one of countless mutants to become a citizen of the new mutant sovereign nation on the living island Krakoa. Cecilia becomes a regular cast member in X-Force by Ben Percy and Joshua Kassara, where she's resident doctor the secret black ops squad led by her ex-boyfriend Hank McCoy. At one point, she's killed by a Russian operative during an autopsy, but she's resurrected by the power of the Krakoan circuit called the Five. Cecilia recurs in other titles across the X-Line as Krakoa's resident medical authority, supervising the healing gardens and researching the developments in X-Gene mutation that can be observed after Krakoan resurrection. As compassionate and devoted to medicine as ever, Dr. Cecilia Reyes is quickly becoming one of mutantkind's leading scientific experts on its own nature, even as she watches her one-time love Hank McCoy slowly descend deeper and deeper into authoritarianism. All the while, she insists on being of service to her community, finally feeling at home among her fellow mutants. X-Men, X-Men. Thank you for listening through that commercial break. Thank you to Drizzly, Melon, and Comixology for sponsoring the podcast. Now we're back for more of Reyes's Anatomy. When last we left our heroine, she had disappeared for two years after watching Colossus die. So that's 2001, right before Grant takes over the franchise. Because it's a reboot to new X-Men story-wise, and there's a little bit of a time jump, a lot of characters are just kind of gone without explanation because that was the point. It was like we're doing like a hard break. She turns up in 2003 in the fifth issue of Frank Thierry's Weapon X, where she is a prisoner at Neverland, the death camp that Weapon X is operating Auschwitz-style for mutants. Maggot is also a prisoner and they gas him to death in the chambers. I forget how. I honestly, I didn't reread this issue because this book makes my, like, really turns my stomach. It's just too much. Yeah, to be quite, it's a lot. I, so I, I, I don't remember how they kill him, but they kill him. And yeah. then they decide that she will be kept alive for, like, Mengele style experiments. Yeah. And she is like the doctor in the camp that's trying to help the other prisoners. And it's all, I mean, it's just very, it's just a weird Holocaust story set in the present. Weapon X. I hate this book, yeah. guys. I'm sorry. I, no, I really no, no, I do too. I so don't. yes. <laughs> yeah, I just can't, I, I, I don't know what else to say about it. Toward the end of Weapon X, the camp is liquidated and the implication is that everyone who was still there is killed. Mm -hmm. The implication therefore is that Cecilia also 
was killed. She notably does not appear again until 2009, six years later, when she pops up in Marjorie Liu's NYX sequel, which is not a bad comic, but I... While we're talking about Weapon X, like NYX is the other one that I just truly dislike so much that it's hard for me to be into like an NYX sequel, even if it's by a writer I enjoy and is less like NYX, the original. I still am just like, I don't want to read about these characters. They are all so, it's, you know, I'm just like, "Mm, I'm good on Kaiden and Tatiana. And like, it's it's nothing about them personally. It's just like, I don't need to revisit that book. Yeah, and also it's still like a kind of a weird time too. Like 2007 through 2000, maybe 10 is also kind of weird for the X characters, period. Because I feel like more, because like, because Civil War happens during that time, right? And then you have like yeah. the Wanda stuff. And yeah, so it's a, it's a And weird House time. of Them is the big thing, right? Like yes. House of Them happens. She's gone. Mm-hmm. Because she was thought to be dead, she was not listed as one of the 198 mutants to retain their powers after the decimation. That was taken, I remember at the time, by fans as a confirmation that she had died at Neverland Mm -hmm. because otherwise they probably would have kept her around, right? Like, that was what we figured, right? Like, I mean, that was the assumption, Because a bunch of characters we hadn't seen in a while were on the 198 and it was like, oh, they're back, you know? Actually, one of them was Skids, and I wonder if maybe they thought that Skids and Cecilia having basically the same power made them sort of redundant, but I don't know. That said, during the decimation period, right around M-Day, Chris Claremont, who, as we know, loves Cecilia Reyes, introduces her brother, Miguel who is in the army and becomes part of the ONE's Sentinel Squad 1, which uh, go back to the Valerie Cooper episode for more on that. I don't think he's come back, has he? Have we seen more? Like, have we ever seen them together on the page? I don't, I want to say no. And I want to say no firmly. I want to say no. Yeah, and I feel like that... Like her brother being a human who works for the Office of National Emergency and knows how to pilot a sentinel feels like a plot hook that's out there. Also, to me, suggests that part of why she wanted to stay closeted about being a mutant Mm -hmm. is that she had a feeling that her family would not approve. Right. Yep. It sort of underlines that. So I think that's interesting. But anyway, she pops back up, as we said, in the NYX sequel, NYX No Way Home by Marjorie Liu. She's back in New York City. She is now working out of Chinatown and she is helping the homeless, working class people who can't afford to go to more elaborate hospitals. She's been doing a lot of work at shelters and the NYX kids are kind of like squatter runaway type characters. So they end up going to Cecilia's little clinic. One of them like is injured and needs stitches or something. Uh, and she calls Hank to see if he can help the kids. And they think she's calling the cops, which like, I mean, she's not not calling the cops. That's the point. I mean, Long term, if we're looking at Hank's arc. <laughs> Like, you know, I mean, so uh, so they book it and that's the extent of her cameo in that. 
but then she shows up on Utopia, which is where uh-huh. all of the mutants do. Because here's the thing. She was not one of the 198, but I've mentioned this before on the show many times. The 198 was a bold thing to do, like to upfront say these are the only ones left. And so it turns out that like more like 235 <laughs> mutants kept their powers after the decimation <laughs> because sometimes a writer would either forget or just like sneak it in and just bring yeah. a character back. And in this case, Cecilia Reyes comes back with her powers and was not on the 198 list. And it's just like, well, she wasn't decimated. Don't worry about it. And here's the thing. The 198 is not necessarily a 100% precise count. It's like that's the ones they're able to identify with Cerebro that day or whatever. Yes. It's possible they missed some people. She has a force field. Who knows if that futzed with it? Like there's, you know, there's lots of ways you could no prize it. But this is one of those cases. She ends up on Utopia where the 198 are based and basically just does some cameos there. Jason Aaron uses her in Wolverine a couple times, but then she abruptly is back in New York. Like This is the thing about characters that aren't consistently published, right? Like They only show up if the writer remembers that, hey, I can use this character. And so they might just bounce around the world. This also shows you how different the current X office is from really what's ever been done before. Because I genuinely think what happened here is that Marjorie Liu was not aware that Jason Aaron was going to put Cecilia on Utopia in those Wolverine issues. Because mm-hmm. the NYX thing and the X-23 one-shot lead to the Marjorie Liu's X-23 ongoing. Yeah, And there, Cecilia is just back at the clinic in New York City that she was at in the NYX sequel. And it's like, well, now you could just explain it with Krakow and Gates, but at the time it didn't really work, but it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, this is where Marjorie Liu first seeds the idea that Gambit and Cecilia are attracted to each other, which makes sense to me. I mean, it does. It's Gambit. They're hot. They're both hot. She's like, kind of a nurturer in the same way that Rogue is with him. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, and this is when Rogue, this is during the period when Mike Carey had put Rogue and Magneto back together. So this is like a good moment to have Gambit date someone else so that it it seems clear to me that the intention was always to bring Rogue and Gambit back together. Of course. It helps with any romance plot to have a moment where it's like, oh, no, we won't be together because then when they are together, you love it, right? Yeah. So I think that for the sake of that drama, it was good to also give Gambit a new love interest. Magneto and Cecilia both kind of come out okay in this storyline. They do. That's the risk. Like, it, it always makes me think of Battlestar Galactica <laughs> where, in this case, actually, it's also the one black woman character who's <laughs> used in this role, Duala, who I love that character. Candace McClure is one of the most underrated TV actresses. Anytime she pops up on anything, it is going to be an absolute banger. She and Sam mm-hmm. and basically serving as functionally as this character because you know that Apollo and Starbuck are going to be inevitably drawn to each other. I found Apollo and Starbuck unbearable and that was, I love that show, but it is hard for me. And part of it was because like Sam and Dee were the nicest people left alive in the universe. <laughs> and it was just like, and now they're just going to get treated like garbage for like a season and a half and you're gonna sit and watch the whole thing and you got it yeah and it's like oh but in this case cecilia and eric both come across as like fun adult people the thing that's interesting about it is they are both someone who it probably is like more stable and better for rogue or gambit to be Mm -hmm. dating 
it's like they got to study abroad in a way <laughs> yeah it's like they with with like someone who is maybe a little older than them and a little more like experienced in the ways of the mm-hmm. world and it gives them some perspective then they go back to their true love you know yeah. but like they had that moment and i think that it was good for both of them and it gave magneto some of his more fun screen time since back Absolutely. in the 80s honestly yes. I think a big part of the Magneto we all enjoy now owes to the fact that Mike Carey restored some of that characterization that would make him as a romantic prospect at all, like plausible or whatever, you know? Yeah. It also, this to me is like probably the best spotlight Cecilia ever got was this Marjorie Lou stuff because then Marjorie Lou picks her up for the astonishing team mm-hmm. that she does that we've talked about in the Karma and North Star episodes And much like Karma, a character who has always been around and is great, but nobody ever did anything with her particularly, Zeb Wells has a cool Karma story, but that's like it. Mm -hmm. Cecilia is one where Claremont had given her a couple interesting things to do. I mean, but it was like, it's the drug plot, which is like, yeah, you know, it's interesting. It pushes her somewhere, but... It's not the X-Men story that you want this character to have. Right. She's going to be on the X-Men. Like, if she's finally joining the X-Men. Yeah. Which she had resisted doing officially for so long. I think it's just good to have it be a pretty triumphant story. She and Gambit start dating. And they are just kind of a chill couple that's yeah like, like you're here for it and i was here for it. yeah like and they're and they're just kind of in the background like it's not really focused on but yeah. it's just like people tease them about it and they're like going on dates and it's fun yeah and it's very casual in a way that i think is cool i think in part because the rogan gambit relationship is so much melodrama and i don't mean melodrama in, in like a bad way necessarily no, yeah. genre wise it is like oh no you know, like mm-hmm. sobbing you know and so to take the Gambit character, who is the most ridiculous romance novel character in the X-Men, and put him into a very casual, like, almost sitcom background relationship is just a funny thing to do. It is. And, like, it's also fun. Cecilia is, like, the more, I mean, like, grounded versus Rogue. Mm-hmm. But they are kind of similar in a way that, in their abilities. So, like, <laughs> Cecilia does not want anybody to, I mean, like, her defensive mechanism. But, like, for Rogue, it's, you know not because she doesn't want to touch anybody she just can't so it just it's interesting in that way too and i wonder if that kind of played into the pairing but either way it's a relationship that works and this to be clear this astonishing run is after the schism so cecilia is in a bunch of she has some one-off missions basically she'll be deployed by cyclops sometimes to go with someone she and psylocke have an adventure together where they have to say which is actually really fun yeah that's a good one that's a Matt Fraction story, I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. When Eric pulls Kitty out of space in, in the, the bullet, bullet, yeah, <laughs> she's like supervising him medically so that he doesn't kill himself, which uh-huh. is kind of a fun detail. Like she's just around sort of intermittently. And then after the schism, and this makes perfect sense, she sides with Wolverine because she would much rather be in New York as like a doctor at a school than being at war as like a super like that's just not her way yeah so she's one of the most sensible like schism characters <laughs> and that's where the astonishing run over there happens her power continues to grow it's actually betsy in that fraction story 
when they're like in trouble, Betsy uses her telepathy to like push Cecilia's power further and like the force field extends. Like a one up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, she 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 kind of genes her, honestly. Like yeah. <laughs> it's a very gene moment from Betsy. But it works. And Cecilia's like, oh wow, I didn't know I could do that. But now I know how to. Mm-hmm. And so in stories after that, she starts developing the power to extend her force field further beyond her body. Is that kind of it for her until the dawn of Vex? Kind of. So actually, this is cool. She and Kyle, North Star's new husband, oh, yeah. become like really good friends. Yeah. That was something I noticed in the background when I was rereading that run for the Karma episode. That's nice because my big problem with Kyle as a character historically is that I don't feel like he has anything going on that's like about him. It's always mm-hmm. just, he just sort of is an ancillary character to North Star and doesn't have other connections. Yeah. And so giving him friends who are not necessarily like North Star's friends would be a good way. He's got the Stevie problem. deal with that? Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I think that it's, uh, I think that that would be fun to tease out a little bit. Like if Reyes ever had a more prominent role in a book again, establish like, or reestablish her friendships with certain characters that we yeah. don't see that much and you can put them in other kind of, I mean, that's very living heroes, right? It's like, you were mm-hmm. like all of these black women should be talking to each other. And I feel like Marjorie Lee looks at this cast and is like, well, Kyle maybe will confess some of his like insecurities to Cecilia specifically. Yes makes sense right Mm -hmm. after the whole fight with susan hachi karma's long lost evil sister don't worry about it right now it's a good story (laughs) i like it go back to the karma episode Um, the book kind of peters out there is a moment where she and hank are working on something together and she's like i still think about us sometimes or whatever he and Wolverine are trying to convince her to like take a real job at the school, but she doesn't want it. She's doing the like, I don't want to join the X-Men thing again. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really go anywhere before the book gets canceled, honestly. Yeah. That book was cut short. One of the last stories is like Dark Beast pops up and does evil stuff like you do. Oh, we forgot to mention that when she was dating Hank is when Dark Beast replaced Hank for a while. Yeah. Like captured Hank is... and dyed his fur blue. And so you could read something super creepy and I choose to believe that they just didn't have time to meet up for a couple weeks or whatever. Yeah. And it's fine. Because I just yeah. don't want to, I don't personally want to deal with the like, and Dark Beast is evil enough that who knows, but I don't want to get into. Yeah, no. I only bring that up because that's backstory. Like you could, if you wanted to, believe that Dark Beast had done things, pretended to be her boyfriend and that there are reasons yeah. she could have a personal hatred for this man. In this story, when Warbird, the homophobic Warbird, not Carol Danvers, this is the Shi'ar who doesn't approve of gay mm. marriage, but is maybe a lesbian. And again, the book got canceled, so we didn't really get to the end <laughs> of the plot. Um, stay tuned for an Abagardara Nanagandini episode. I, can't, I do not, off the top of my head, remember her name. It's very long and has apostrophes and it's a Shi'ar name. Anyway, the point is, Warbird's going to kill him, and Cecilia is like, no. I'm a doctor. We're not going to kill this guy. That's not right. That's not what we do. And that is when she and Gambit become like officially a couple at the very Mm. end of the book. But it doesn't, we never see it. No, which is really Like they go on dates throughout 
the yeah. run. But she's always like, oh, we're just friends when people are like teasing her about it. And then she finally is like, we're not just friends, we're dating. But it's the last issue. Of course. You've just sort of been watching it develop in the background, which has been fun. But I wish that we had gotten some actual stories of them together, which we just never really do. I really feel like that is it before Kakoa. She has a couple little cameos. Mark Guggenheim uses her in X-Men Volume 4 briefly. This is actually interesting in light of what's going on right now. Abigail Brand shows up and is like, Mm -hmm. my doctor is not able to take care of this. And you are the only medical doctor on earth who has a sufficient knowledge of Shi'ar biology that I feel comfortable tasking you with saving Deathbird, who's like dying of some assassination i forget what even happened they're always assassinating people in the shira empire (laughs) but this is a really cool one because she has probably the coolest cecilia reyes power moment i had forgotten about this story and i went back because x-men volume four was just that's the all-female team which is a cool concept but the book never really gelled for me yeah yeah same. That's how I ended up dropping it. I went back to read this because it is one of her only like real stories in the interim. She gets ripped up real bad and she ends up keeping herself alive by creating micro force fields within her own wounds to hold them open. Oh, shit. She creates like 50 tiny force fields inside her own body to like keep herself from bleeding to death. Or from, like, getting sepsis or whatever. Yeah. And, like, Storm is having a heart attack. And she puts up two more, like, tiny force fields in Storm's chest cavity, I think, to, like, keep her heart pumping. It's really great. <laughs> I'm not a doctor. But basically, it's super cool. It's just a fun moment where, again, you get to see the power and the medical knowledge come together in a very unique superheroic way that you don't see that. I mean, it actually reminded me of Faiza Hussein from Captain Britain and MI13's character. Yeah. She's a medical doctor with like biological control powers. So she like will split you apart into like component parts and fix one and then like snap you back together. And you're like, Jesus, Faiza. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's kind of cool like that. It's also just so fine motor versus the way she was introduced where she didn't have any control over it. It would just pop out if she was attacked Mm -hmm. as a defense mechanism, right? Like you said. And now it's something she can use offensively to save lives, which is all she wants to do. And the reason she rejected the power was because what she wanted to do was save lives. And so this is a moment where you get to see the synthesis of that kind of, which is nice. But that's kind of it. After that, she finally does in the background just sort of become the Dr. McCoy of the X-Men for a while. Not Hank, Mm -hmm. I meant like Leonard. But (laughs) she's around in, uh, Guggenheim uses her in X-Men Gold. Um, Yeah, I was going to say X-Men Gold. Pop up in uh, the Nightcrawler solo a couple times. Just doing like medical stuff at the school. And then there's a book that I simply have not read. (laughs) and i scoured the internet and have not found a summary of it so i will get my hands on it like digitally and read it before i write the character file but i truly do not know what happens in it it is dead man logan by ed brisson which is the end of the old man logan storyline when old man (laughs) logan came to our earth because wolverine was dead this is like the last story where he's dying because whatever is going on and Cecilia is apparently in like four or five issues of it and 
I simply have not read it. So I haven't I either. And that's hilarious that. because that was a book that I was actually a pretty avid reader of. And then I fell off the last 10 issues. So clearly if I would have mm-hmm. held on, I would have got me some C- Cecilia Reyes. So that You would have gotten a Cecilia Reyes moment. Yeah. <sighs> see, the, see what happens when you don't finish? It's a lot. Exactly. I was looking at the Travis Starnes reading order, which is as always my saving grace. And she's in... Four issues of that, two issues of Old Man Logan and four issues of Dead Man Logan that I simply just have not read. And I'm going to yeah. read them, I promise. Otherwise, I think she's just been a cameo queen. And then she pops up on Krakoa as the doctor on Krakoa. If there is any medical scene now, it is like Dr. McCoy or Dr. Crusher or whoever. Like you're, That's who you yes. go to. She's the person who is in that role. I've been enjoying it, particularly because... While she hasn't been a major character, we've gotten a lot of her voice in data pages, mm-hmm. which I like because we also get a lot of Beast's voice in data pages, and it's, again, sort of putting them on a level playing field. We've also seen a lot of her talking to Sage, yep. who's a similarly interesting character in that way. The idea of them being friends is very appealing to me. I just feel like that's like a vibe that I would... like If, as I think everyone is hoping, Sage manages to push out Beast and lead X-Force herself. I would love to see Cecilia take a more active role with the team, with Sage leading yeah. it. But Same. I don't know. I found it all very interesting. What have you thought about her role in on Krakoa? So, I mean, it feels like it makes sense. Like, this is a new version of her life, right? You have her finally settling into the role and you get to see her be both... This mutant doctor who has figured out how to marry the two. Yes. In a way that makes her happy and allows her to help folks. And to serve her community yes. in the way that she was doing At in the, the Bronx. At the same time. You know? It's the full circle moment. It is, but now I'm just thinking of Sage and her and like, Sage, don't ask me why. It, no rhyme or reason, but always reminds me of Holly Berry and that movie The Call. Because every time <laughs> I see Sage, I always think of somebody with a headset on. <laughs> And in a way, like Sage is kind of, and Sage has kind of got like that that nine one one operator type of feel to her. Sometimes, she sure does, depending yeah. on like what she's doing. So anyway, that's what's on my mind right now. But her role in Krakoa so far, I've loved. What's on my mind is that they could date. They could. Right? I'm just putting that out there. I like Sage's most prominent romantic interest. It's not canon, but it's very much there. If you go back to Extreme X Men, is Storm. Yes. All the way. Because, like, Shaw, that was a job. Yes. Storm is, like, she was obsessed, like, romantically and sexually mm-hmm. with Storm for the entire run of Extreme X-Men. She is so jealous every time Storm goes on, like, a lunch date with Jean or, like, has her hot tub threesome with Callisto and Yukio and say just, like, wow, I wasn't invited to the hot tub threesome. Hate that for me. And so <laughs> I am just saying she likes a, a powerful mutant woman who takes charge and Cecilia, I listen I'm here fight. for it and it makes sense Cecilia's metaphor like her whole story in the 90s being about the closet like just make her bisexual I mean it's she should just be queer because like her story is so queer. it's like X-Men, Bobby that yes. way yes. you know but this yes. is the problem with all X-Men is that every X-Man is fucking gay you know Got a little, it's a little sugar in the tank for all of them just a touch yeah except for charles well no charles actually a lot <laughs> but i digress that's another conversation but yeah i've really liked seeing her pop up in different books like she was in hellions briefly and we remember that she's more compassionate than mm-hmm. other leadership type people on krakoa other people working for the government 
we've seen her trying to bond with Sage a little bit on the job. We've seen that she has different theories of what's going on scientifically than other people. I loved the data page that Steve Orlando wrote in Marauders recently, where she and Dr. Nemesis and Mr. Sinister argue over whether or not Cassandra Nova counts as a mutant. Yeah. And she's the one who says she absolutely counts and here's why, yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. That again underlines like she did with Dark Beast, like this is the worst person in the world. However, I am not going to disenfranchise them because I have sworn to be a protector and healer of people. So in my opinion, she counts. And she's very level-headed versus like it's actually kind of it's flipped from the original story with her and Bobby where she's sort of the mouthy sarcastic one and he's kind of just like come on now doctor and now she's more the one who's just like are you fucking kidding me to like everyone around her <laughs> which is but great though because growth ridiculous. she's yes <laughs> but that's character growth for yeah, her yeah it's fun it is I liked that it was her who got to write the data pages about Sync's power expansion. Yes. Because again, that feels like, it's like she's paying special attention to him. Mm-hmm. And again, it feels like it's a repeated beat with her that she does try to look out for other black people. Like that yeah. is something that we've seen with the character repeatedly. And I think that that's interesting as well. <sighs> we need more Cecilia Reyes. I don't know, like just in a more prominent role. It doesn't have to be for a long time, but like I want to see all of these things that have come together for her character over the last, what, two, no, almost close to three decades to kind of see all these things come together. Yeah, to come together for her and see her in action, like actual action, putting all this together. So I don't know. There, I'm pretty sure there could be an event. I would like to see her and Sage in the field at some point. Yes, same. Because they are both very capable field operatives. Yeah. Sage in particular is like a very, I understand the appeal of having her back at base. That's what Claremont usually did with her also. But she is like James Bond though, with a computer. So like she should should go out there at some point. And Cecilia, they could have like a a one-off that's like the two of them. And maybe with Domino, like on an adventure. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. That'd be fun. I'd also like to see more of an exploration of her relationship with Hank and like where they stand now Agreed. because they're working together, but we haven't really seen them interact like off the clock. And they were a couple for a while back in the day. And I just yeah. feel like there's more we could dig into with that. And I'm hopeful that maybe as like the fall of Hank McCoy seems to be coming, yeah. that that'll be a factor, you know? I hope so. Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. I think now is a good time to get into the questions. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. Dave Katzen writes, greetings, Connor, and illustrious guest. I'm elated to know you're discussing one of my favorite reluctant mutants. Cecilia was the newest character introduced when I first started reading stories monthly. I've always appreciated her for recognizing the histrionics of superheroics for what they are, and feel like there ought to be a character with that perspective as a counterpoint in any given lineup. But with the exceptions of Claremont and Marjorie Liu, there haven't really been any writers after that period who seem to want to use her. She's hardly the only X-Man who didn't want to get wrapped up in X-Drama, so why does she get such short shrift? Is it because she's easier to sideline since she has a baked-in occupation where she's arguably more useful than she is in the field? Or that there are other, older, better established, and usually white characters with a similar narrative tension writers would rather work with? What do you suppose an ongoing story would need to center and or ground a hesitant X-Man like Cecilia? As always, I love the podcast, you're doing the Lord's work, and by Lord's, I mean the Lord's Cardinal of the Hellfire (laughs) Club, David Katzen. What do you think about that? 
So I definitely think it's the latter of that to what he said. But in order to like give her something to just really chew on for, I don't know, like a four ish, like a four issue arc for her. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. You've got to have a situation that we don't need to see her be reluctant. In fact, we need to see her inspired to actually take. Well, that's because now she needs to be passionate. Like we need to see the full character transition i think we have to see that and maybe and then what we have is some reflection in her looking back on her past self and the way that she felt and i don't know like either reconciling with that in some way as she you know moves through this four issue arc of like really wanting to help it'd be nice if somebody from her past came that she probably was i don't know like either watched her being reluctant let's bring her brother back yeah that right there so i think we need to see a cecilia who is you know wanting to be active and not reluctant and then kind of reconciling with the cecilia that was reluctant that's what i would love to see from Mm -hmm. her i think that would be great because i would show like a full like a 180 for her i guess in a way or maybe or even bring it back full circle absolutely i think that you need to take the character all the way to again like who she was at the beginning which was a diehard advocate for her minority community Mm -hmm. but now she has embraced being a mutant and that is the community that she is trying to serve right yeah and so i think that like we're basically there. Like that's implied yeah. in the fact that she's on Krakoa mm-hmm. working for the betterment of Krakoa and doing all of this stuff. But it would be nice to see her get like a spotlight arc or something. Yeah. Like that. I would love to see that. And I have hope that she will because Percy is bringing different characters sort of in and out of focus. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of characters like the separate cuckoos who just like appear in sort of cameo appearances in that book. But like she's on the team. Yeah, she's there. Yeah. She's there. Like she's not doing a ton because she's ops, not a field agent. But like uh. she's definitely part of the cast. And so I am hopeful that she will get pulled into focus at some point. Oh, yeah. But I'd love to see... I mean, I was so thrilled by the giant size Thunderbird issue. Oh my God, yes. All I want is for that just to become like a series. Yeah. Like the way that Hickman was doing it, it was like, make it an anthology where like you get different people to come in and do like one like giant size. In the way that X Men Unlimited used to do. Agreed. Have these stories be, because a giant size Cecilia would be fun. It would. Check in with her. What's going on with her? Like Thunderbird is a character who's clearly going to be around, but establishing the importance of Thunderbird to the narrative to new readers was a tall order because he hadn't been used that. I mean, he hadn't been used at all in a very long time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the man was dead. Cecilia is a similar character because she fell out of public. She's never had like a consistent, a super consistent publication history. She's like Karma that way, Mm -hmm. actually. And Karma is a character who Vida Ayala really skillfully reintroduced to new readers which I think has elevated Karma's prominence a great deal. Agreed. Because that arc was so good, and it, Karma has like three arcs ever. So it was mm-hmm. like, wow, how refreshing. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I think that Cecilia just kind of needs her moment in the sun that way, whether it's a focus arc of X-Force or a one-shot like that. I mm-hmm. would love to see more of those one-shots. It was so much, That one was so much fun. 
Thomas Crawford writes, hello, Connor and esteemed guest Stephanie. Congrats on three seasons of this delightful podcast, and congrats to Stephanie on taking Nubia to the A-list status she was always meant to have. In Cecilia's earliest appearances, her self-loathing of the mutant aspect of her identity was something that was emphasized. That might be what drew her into the unfortunate flirtation with one Henry McCoy. Though she seems to have reached a place of greater self-acceptance. Much of that feels as if it happened off the page. My question is, do you think the decision to move to Krakoa was a difficult one for Dr. Reyes? Do you think she feels conflicted about remaining on the island, especially given the resurrection protocols, which make medicinal and surgical treatments somewhat obsolete or redundant? Thanks for your ever-illuminating insights, and I can't wait to hear your discussion on one of the Xbox's most criminally overlooked supporting players, in my opinion, best, Tom Crawford. Now that is an excellent question. And maybe that is what you have um, in exploration in that one shot, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Because what is that thought process? And then it gets really interesting for her too, because sure, she's helping mutants, but that's just only one intersection she has. Right. Right. So like, what's going on? How is she feeling about the Bronx? Yeah. You know, like what's going on? In the same way that Darcy Little Badger's voices story with Danny Moonstar Mm -hmm. tackled, like, how do you deal with being Krakoan and being Cheyenne? Yeah. I think that a story where Cecilia feels accountable both to the community in New York that she comes from and to the mutant community on Krakoa and is sort of torn between two worlds a little bit would be a very interesting story, right? Like that's an avenue for story. I think she would have found it tricky. She didn't like Utopia. She kept leaving it. Mm -hmm. She's someone who no matter where she ends up, some writer will put her back in New York because it's clear that that's where she wants to be, right? (laughs) Yeah. So what does it mean that she's on an island in the South Pacific now instead of in New York? Mm -hmm. How does she feel about that? I think that could be interesting. Yeah. Let's dig into it, is my answer to that, basically. <laughs> Daddy Pasta writes, Hello, Connor and distinguished guest. Cecilia Reyes is a character who's very much taken a backseat in the Krakoa era, only making minor appearances. What are some things you'd like to see her up to on Krakoa, and what other characters who may also have been out of the spotlight would you like to see her interact with? I want to focus more on the, the second point there, because we, we covered a little bit of that. I actually though, think it's interesting... Mr. Pasta, that you think she's taken a backseat in the Krakoa era because I feel like, I mean, she's a supporting character Mm -hmm. for sure, but I feel like this is the most consistent publication she's had, certainly since Marjorie Liu and before that since the 90s. Like, she's definitely around. Like, she's a character who exists. We feel like she's important to the daily operations of Krakoa. She feels like she's enmeshed in the setting to me in a way that she previously hasn't really been Mm -hmm. so I think of her as being more prominent right now than she often has been but it's to show up for a couple panels right so like I get what you're saying yeah as for characters I'd like to see her interact with I mentioned like I do think that digging into her friendship with Kyle Jinnadu North Star's husband would be cool to do yes I'm always looking for something a little bit weightier for that character to have outside of his relationship because I think that would help. I think with human love interests, it's really important for them to have something of their own going on. The platonic ideal is Mary Jane Watson. Like she is the ideal one to me. That's a character I would read a solo book about for like 50 issues. And you want the human character who's not a superhero to be that compelling on their own. One of the best ways to do that is character relationships. So I think that Mm -hmm. would be a cool thing to do. Bring that back out. I would love to see, like I said, her and Sage like developing mm-hmm. a closer friendship. We've seen little hints of that. Maybe she can help Sage with 
the substance abuse problems that Sage has been having. Like that would be a fun, not fun, but like but Cecilia would... is not only a doctor, but also yeah. had to go through recovery yeah. from a drug addiction after the rave storyline. So that's something she has a lot of personal experience with and she could maybe help Sage at least intellectualize the process, right? Mm-hmm. I'd actually like to see her and Bobby together again. Like I was gonna pray, yeah, I was gonna say her and Bobby possibly having to work together on like a short, maybe two, yeah. something that can be resolved in maybe two issues. Have them do like a buddy movie story. That yeah, yes. I also would like to see her with Storm, and the reason mm. why I say that is because their personalities are sort of similar in a way. That's why I said that I feel like Sage would also be yeah. in this scenario. Because like, right. they do have like a similar... Yeah, I, I would like to see that because I feel like the two of them have this... They both have the same problems. Like with Storm, because of the way that she has been written, like you don't really get to see her down and out unless she's without her powers. Yes. So I would like to see them, I don't know, like either having to work together in some way that allows both of them, like for um, Cecilia to deal with her, you know, reconciling with her reluctance to be a mutant or whatever, Mm -hmm. or like not be a mutant, but like be out and loud and proud about it. And also Storm's, I don't know, reluctance to, well, not even reluctance, but the thing that she often goes back and forth with, like am I a goddess or like, am I a member of this team or something? Some kind of way to kind of marry those two things together, which I believe can be done. I just need a little bit to think about it. Oh, but yeah. that would be cool. I think Al Ewing is doing really cool stuff yeah. right now. And I can't wait to see where X-Men Red goes. And that is yes. another, like Araco is another place I would be interested to see Cecilia. Yeah. Well, her relationship with Storm is interesting, right? Like there's that bit that you talked about where Storm's like, I knew you'd be back. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you can't actually leave. You almost feel like it's because Storm has tried to leave a couple times and can never yeah. leave. And she knows that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like she kind of sees herself in Cecilia to some extent. Yeah. I think there is culturally something interesting about having Absolutely. this Afro-Bariqua character interact with this African character. I mean, Storm is also African-American, but she didn't grow up in the States. Yeah. There's also, also the fact of the Araki, who mm-hmm. are mostly... Like, they're clearly Mediterranean. There are some who are more, like, Greek or Arab-looking, but most of them are Black. Yes. Part of this storyline is about Storm trying to respect their culture and actually Mm -hmm. be part of it and not be imperialist in the way that she deals with them and also not be patronizing the way that she was with the Morlocks. Yes. One of the things about the Araki is because they've been in hell since, like, 5000 B.C., Modern technology is not something they're super up on. And if we're going to do any kind of plot where modern medical technology or anything else gets involved, much like I think it was essential to have Storm Mm -hmm. be the character, the Krakoan, who becomes an Iraqi figurehead, being the black woman who's the most prominent black character in the franchise, I think having the face of like modern technology and particularly medical technology be a black woman would also yes make that less yes weird. It would. You know what I mean? It absolutely would. And I feel like even if it's a thing of Storm trying to help them establish their own form of medical care, whatever that looks exactly. like. Exactly. Because it's going to be different to have Cecilia kind of be the shepherd of that. Because she, 
I don't know. Like, she seems like the type of character who would respect. As opposed to, like, sending up Dr. Nemesis. You know what I <sighs> yes. mean? Like, Or even freaking Hank. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't mm-hmm. want Hank futzing with those people at all. No. Whereas, you know, that Cecilia will be like, okay, what are your belief systems about medicine? Like, let's yes. talk. You know, like, she would try to, because she's community-based. Mm-hmm. But she is that kind of doctor. Yep. So I think that there is a lot of interesting potential there. We also, I completely forgot about this until, again, I was doing this reread of a bunch of stories for this episode, but that story where she and Abigail Brand yeah. work together because there's like an issue on the sword station and Cecilia has an expertise in Shi'ar biology because mm-hmm. she was with the X-Men when all of that stuff with Deathbird was happening and the, when yeah. the Bishop and Deathbird were dating in the late 90s. So it makes total sense that she would be useful on Arako because she has a working knowledge of xenobiology. Exactly. That's another direction you could take her if the X-Force status quo changes. But I'd like to see her bounce back and forth. I mean, the thing about the gates is she could do both. Yeah. You know? And let her set up a practice, maybe. Yeah. Like, she could have a clinic on Arako, like, in the spaceport. Mm-hmm. You know? what? Like, they could, like, an outreach kind of thing. Yeah. That would be cool. And she's like, I'm here three days a week. Otherwise, I'm <laughs> yeah. on Krakow. Like, she could. Because right? you could just teleport. So it's like, okay, sure. I think that would be fun. And I would also love to see her and Gambit interact again. I would love to yeah. see her and Karma interact again. Yeah. Like she sort of made real friendships in that astonishing run. And mm-hmm. I'd like to see those characters interact again at some point. Maybe she can help Sean with like all of the stuff with Sean's brother who's back and like yeah. the psychic whatever of all of that. Or, you know, another thing actually, and this is just, he's in the book, so this is very plausible, but revisiting... She was the one who immediately clocked that Colossus was going to kill himself mm-hmm. back when the legacy virus plot was happening. And so if any character on the team is going to notice that Colossus is crying out for help. She would be the one. Behind the mind control, it might be her. Yeah. I mean, I think that that would make sense. So I'd like to see them interacting again more. Basically, just she's a lot like Karma. I keep thinking that. Like, she Mm -hmm. has a lot of really interesting relationships with other characters that have never been really fully teased out. And so there are a lot of different avenues you could take it depending on what book you wanted to have her in or what capacity you wanted her to serve as someone's sounding board or as someone's friend or as someone's love interest. Like, you could go in a bunch of different directions with it. It's really just a matter of a writer having a specific idea. Yeah. There's options, which is always good, right? Definitely. Cesar Castagna writes, Hello, Connor and Stephanie. I'm very excited for this episode. The Bling episode was great, and I just started reading Nubia and the Amazons because everyone kept talking about it in the Cerebro Discord server. I'm loving the book, by the (laughs) way. Friend of the pod. I love to see it. I'm also excited because I'm going through a big CC moment these days. Mm -hmm. I read Operation Zero Tolerance for the first time recently and loved it. I love how much Dr. Reyes is the rising star of that event, and her interactions with Iceman are mostly great. I also love how Cecilia is a pretty well-developed character early on. She's someone who's worked incredibly hard to be a medical doctor and fit into a society that's racist, misogynistic, and violently prejudiced against mutants. And then she sees herself targeted amid an attempted genocide against the one identity she thought she had managed to hide. My question is, she was played by the Brazilian actress Alice Braga in the New Mutants movie, and even though Alice is a great actress, she's not black. 
The script also made her character overall very different from her comics counterpart. But even though that adaptation really missed the point with her, I've been headcanoning Cece as half Brazilian since then. After all, her name is Cecilia, which is pretty common here in Brazil. Is there anything in the character's history that could contradict that? Anyway, here's a photo of the incredible Brazilian actress Thais Araújo. I hope I said that right. I'm so bad at Portuguese. Cesar knows that because for several episodes, I called him Cesar Castanha because I didn't know that NH in Portuguese is an N-Y. Ah. And I just always wanted to be Spanish. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> the incredible Brazilian actress Thais Araújo to help me make my case for a Brazilian Dotura Reyes. All the best to the both of you, Cesar Castanha. So there's nothing explicitly contradicting it, but she does speak Spanish and English specifically. And I think... She's very specifically Puerto Rican, but yeah. I mean, that's not to say she couldn't be multiple things. To me, her cultural background is very specific to New York City and is like kind of a specific community. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then that way, which so then there's a thing, right? Headcanon is headcanon. Like if you yeah. want to think maybe she has like a Brazilian grandparent or something. Yeah, like, that's oh, fine. I, I, you know, I don't but I think that in the story, that would be unlikely just because she's identified very specifically as like a black Latina from like the Boricua New York community, like specifically, yeah. which is just a very specific mm-hmm. group of people. Terry Bloss talked about this in the skin episode. It's inconsistent in the comics whether skin is Puerto Rican or Mexican. Mm-hmm. And the easy solution there is he can be both because lots of Latino people marry people of other Latino extractions. Yes. So like that's not uncommon. She could be Afro-Brazilian and Puerto Rican. Yeah. There are a lot of different ways you could go. Yes. But I do think that it's more likely she'll be emphasized in Afro-Brazilian character because she's the only one as far as I can think of. Right? I, that, to my knowledge, yes. Well... America Chavez is... Ooh, that's complicated. Yeah. We don't have to get into it. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, that's the only other character I can think of who might even fit. That's why it would be nice for her to kind of have a, some type of story arc or whatever that just really hones in on maybe that. Well, it would be interesting to see her interact with Sunspot, actually. Yeah. If, like, if she and Storm were doing something in X-Men Red, mm-hmm. Sunspot is Afro-Brazilian, and you could yeah. have an Afro-Puerto Rican and Afro-Brazilian character interacting, and they would each have a different relationship to what that means in their community. Mm-hmm. Beto's backstory is explicitly about racism he faced in Brazil because yep. he was black. And from my understanding, that happens in Puerto Rico as well. So mm-hmm. I think that that's something they could maybe talk about. That would just be interesting. Again, like yeah. a lot of the time with minority representation or whatever you want to call it, the best thing you can do is have characters from similar backgrounds talk to each other yes. and distinguish them in that way. Because the best way to illustrate that, like to use myself as an example, I have thought a lot about what a conversation between Sabra, to take it back to a place of Sabra for a moment, and Kate Pride might look like. Mm-hmm. because I think that there are two Jewish women with very, very, very different perspectives. Yeah. And I would hesitate to write that because it's scary sometimes to tackle intra-group debate and stuff in that way, but it can also be a very fruitful avenue for story. Absolutely. A writer could totally dig into, here's what these two Black Latino characters in the X-Men think about each other, think about their particular intersecting identity, think about Araco. Like, you could do lots of different stuff with mm-hmm. it in a way that would be interesting. No, I agree. She's also working class, and Beto is from a very wealthy family. Yeah. So there's that dynamic. Yeah. There's a lot for them to talk about <laughs> at the very end of the day. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. 
And they're about the same age because she's not to age discourse, but when she's introduced, she's 25 explicitly because Mm -hmm. she's a first year resident. And she says, like, my father died when I was six. It's been 19 years. Like, Mm -hmm. she gives it to you on the page. So she is contemporaneous to that, like, X-Force original New Mutants range of characters to some extent. Marika Lee writes, hi, Connor and guest. I know you don't usually talk about adaptations, but my question kind of relates to the awfully problematic Fox New Mutants movie. Why do you think Dr. Reyes was included as the hospital's evil doctor? I grew up watching the Fox X-Men movies, but have only been reading the comics for about five years. So I'd only encountered Dr. Reyes a few times. Did they pick her over someone like Kavita Rao so it could be a twist? Has Reyes ever worked with Sinister or other villains before in the comics? Do you think it fits her character at all? Or could she be manipulated or mind controlled? Thanks for the podcast. I ran two great half marriages marathons to see the Kate and Destiny episodes, so I wouldn't be opposed to a five-hour-long episode for my marathon next year. Thanks, Marika. Well, that's very impressive. I have never run a marathon. So the New Mutants movie was infamous for being in development hell and going through a million rewrites and reshoots and like being delayed like seven times. One of the things that happened was that Rosario Dawson had to drop out and was replaced by Alice Braga who is an incredibly brilliant Brazilian actress, but as Cesar mentioned, is not Afro-Brazilian, so it was odd. And Rosario Dawson, honestly, she is Afro-Latina, but Cecilia Reyes, we haven't mentioned this actually somehow up to this point, she is one of the only characters with dreadlocks in a superhero comic, it's a big two. Like, she is a dark-skinned woman with dreads. Yeah, because I was going to say, maybe Stevie had, well, you can argue either braids or locks. Yeah. Yeah, but it's like, what I'm saying is Rosario Dawson does not look like Cecilia Reyes. No. Um, so it was already, like, a reach, and then they went for a fully Portuguese woman, and it was like, yeah. mm. And they had also cast a non-black Brazilian actor as Sunspot in the same Mm -hmm. movie. So it did feel bad. It felt bad overall, is what I would say. Like like many things about that film. Which sucks. But the even wilder thing that you may not know, listeners, is that it was supposed to be Storm, who was the secretly evil person working for (laughs) Mr. Sinister in this movie, who was going to betray the new mutants. In the script, it was Storm. Mm -hmm. My understanding is that It might have been Fox, but I think it might have actually been Marvel said, you can't do that. You have to change it to a different character. And so they changed it to Cecilia Reyes because she is a doctor. And I guess maybe they were even already talking to Rosario Dawson. So they were like, well, there's a black doctor character, you know, like, you know. I don't know how it happened. I mean, it was like, hey, we'll just swap one black character for another one. And then it just spiraled into... All these other things, too, right? Yeah. Yeah. The weirder thing is that also there's like a history of this because in The Last Stand, Shori Agdashlu, when she read for her character, it was Cecilia Reyes. And then when they cast her, they changed the character to Kavita Rao, which, by the way, Shori Agdashlu, one of the greatest actresses out there, but is Iranian, not Indian. So that wasn't correct either. But the point is... (laughs) The Fox movies, here's the thing, guys. There are like 5,000 X-Men characters, which is why this podcast can happen every week. Mm-hmm. The Fox X-Men movies were kind of a grab bag. By all accounts, they picked names at random, like, on set. Arclight is in The Last Stand, but in the script and the costume design and everything else, that was Stacey X. And they decided on set that she needed a more physical power, so they made her Arclight abruptly while filming. 
nobody knew that Psylocke was going to be in that movie until they dyed Mailing Melanson's hair purple with like a streak and put a little Crimson Dawn scar on her and said, you're Psylocke. Mm-hmm. It's just random ass shit in that movie a lot of the time. With that one, though, it was particularly weird because it's a direct adaptation of Whedon's Kavita Rao plot. So the idea that it was ever, like, maybe they had her reading a side that said Cecilia Reyes is a decoy to avoid spoilers, but I don't feel like the Fox X-Men movies did shit like that. Like, no, I mean, <laughs> that part right there, that's the biggest, I don't think they cared about like, they, just, <laughs> they simply did not care. No, but it was just really weird, because I watched that movie, and it was just very... Whew. So much was out of character for a lot of characters, including Magic, who well, was yeah. racist for no reason. Um, racist thing is otherwise pretty perfect. So it was yeah, which sucks. That's what I was gonna say. Like, which actually sucks because yeah, it fully sucks. The one that really stung was that the kid playing Sunspot was great I, and yeah. was perfectly cast. Except he's not black. Yes. It's just one of those things where it's like. This was so almost good. Like, mm-hmm. why? Why? And y'all just screwed like, the it up. The writing for this character is spot on. <laughs> you clearly had the right kind of actor in mind. The cast had chemistry too, and the cast was doing their best. Mm-hmm. They were working their ass off, but it was just not. Also, casting one of the most British-looking men alive to play Sam Guthrie is bizarre. <laughs> but it's hilarious. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> like, what? That's Sam Guthrie from Coal Country? Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> that man is named Cecil, and he is from, like, Timsford upon Whooping Crane. And, like... Like, his family has a family crest or something, right? Yeah, has never seen bluegrass in his life. Yes. There is no way. Oh, my God. And I'm movie. sorry if you are the British actor from Stranger Things whose name I can't remember, and you are not Landed Gentry. I apologize. It's just that <laughs> most of the time when you Google a British actor... They turn out to be the countess of such and such's niece or nephew. So I'm just saying. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> Point is, no, Cecilia has never worked with evil people unless you count her current gig working with Hank McCoy. Yes. But she was never aligned with Sinister. My like mental, I'm going to try and fix this in my head. And then I was like, Connor, why are you trying to fix this movie in your head? Like, stop no prizing this bad movie. Was that I was like, maybe she's a clone that Sinister made. Like, it's not the real Cecilia Reyes at all. But like, I don't think there's anything in the film to suggest that. It's just not a good movie. And I wish you peace in accepting that and moving on as we all must with our lives. But yeah, no. Cecilia is actually one of like the least morally compromised characters in the whole. The one time, actually, we we didn't go over this when we were like going through the '90s stuff. She is tempted during like the Psy War by the Shadow King. She's like the character who he is able to kind of tempt. Yeah. But she's so ashamed of herself afterward that she starts like doing like overtime charity work. (laughs) It's not, and it's like only a momentary. And it's not like when he offered her, he was like what if I made you a really successful doctor and you had the career that you wanted? She was like, oh, I would love that. Oh, no, you're evil, Shadow King. But she just had the moment of slipping there. But otherwise, X-Men is a pretty morally gray franchise a lot of the time with a lot of the protagonists. And, like, Cecilia is about as, like, lawful good kind of person as a character gets most of the time. Yeah. Which is a feat. Yeah. Hard to do in this book, honestly. (laughs) Anya Soria writes, Hi, Connor and Steph. I once talked on the Discord about why I think Cecilia Reyes would be the best candidate in the X-Men to be revealed as being trans and having lived stealth all this time. 
It doesn't contradict any previous events. It would fit with a lot of her characterization. She's not a villain, and she doesn't have a power that would help her pass in a supernatural way. What do you think of this reading of Dr. Reyes? Love the pod. Keep up the great work. Anya Soria of the Discord. I think any headcanon like that, like queer and trans yeah. headcanon, is so personal that if it speaks to you and it's something that's powerful for you, you should absolutely read the character that way absolutely. as much as you want. I said earlier, she should just be queer. So like we're identifying, I think the same thing, which is that her narrative is about the closet and passing. Right. So like yeah. what you're saying makes total sense to me. I would be down for pretty much any character who it is remotely plausible for being revealed to have been living that experience Agreed. because I've said this on the show before. I think that one of the reasons Iceman has been a successful gay character in the sense of like it mattering in whatever way is not because Iceman himself was that major a character, but because he has a long historical legacy in the comics and it was a retroactive, he's always been gay. Mm -hmm. And so I think that a great way to make a trans character prominent in the Marvel Universe would be for it to be a character who is already somewhat prominent. And you just say, oh, this character has always been trans. She just didn't talk about it, or he just didn't talk about it, or they just didn't talk about it, or whatever. Yeah. Because then they're around. I mean, yeah. I've made the argument that it should be Emma, but I don't know that they would ever do that. I just, <laughs> to me, that like is ex like Grant Morrison's writing of the character really yes. feels like that's there to me. But... Cecilia would be another good one because, again, it's a narrative about the closet and about respectability and about trying not to be noticed. Yeah. So I totally get where you're coming from. And the, the bottom line is that what matters most about these characters in these stories is how they make you feel. Exactly. None of these people are real. Mm-hmm. Cecilia Reyes is kind of whatever you want her to be. Mm -hmm. It's about your personal relationship with the text. But, you know, would that be a cool storyline? Absolutely. That would be a cool yes. storyline. I'd be down. I would be, too. Arna Limberry writes, Hello, Connor and esteemed staff. I hope this finds you both well. And I'd like to say this is bound, in my opinion, to be a classic episode in the Season 3 catalog. I was a late adopter of the Cerebro pod, but I definitely have an appreciation for questions from listeners who've been on from the beginning. It reminds me of the impact this marvelous podcast makes daily and weekly, not unlike Living Heroes, which I definitely remember early tweets and teaser panels from its inception, and which I think of as a foundational example of scripting for a character-driven comic. Anyway, both are amazing projects that reflect the creator's professional journeys in truly insightful ways, and I hope you both know that you have my rapt attention in whatever your future endeavors hold. That is... Thank you. Astoundingly kind. Yes. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. That said, I'll keep my question brief. Arnell, I got to say, I doubt you will keep your question brief. Your <laughs> questions are always very long. But I never mind because they're always very thoughtful. Since I'm fortunate enough to share the rank of X of Words guest with each of you, I'll raise the roof a bit on that podcast because in a recent episode, I got to talk a bit about Dr. Reyes, a character I admire for her professionalism and tact, as well as what I think is a great potential for the kind of leadership Charles Xavier always wanted to be able to deploy, mutant scientific achievement. That kind of leadership which both belies and eludes the assimilationist allegation because it's a communally sourced leadership on behalf of mutantum, serving the greater benefit of all humanity. 
What do you think about Dr. Reyes as a pioneer in mutant research? The kind of stuff that Charles and Hank, ugh, try, but kind of fail to embody due to their simping for human perspectives. We know Cecilia wasn't super jazzed about joining the cause, but it's pretty clear from her copious notes on Krakoa that she's now both dedicated and empathically inclined to understanding mutants and their powers as a complex both in the individual, but also along the various nodes and rays of the mutant Krakoan human Earth ecosystem. Lastly, this is brief, Arnell. I love you. This is so funny. Keeping it brief. <laughs> I like to think of Cecilia as the Cyclops to Bobby Drake's Professor X, recalling the Operation Zero Tolerance attempt to draft a team of X-Men, leaving him with a devastatingly disappointing combination of Marrow, Sabra, LOL, and he recently outed Dr. Reyes, who would truly rather not be there. Given how assertive and playful she is with him early on, wouldn't it be neat to see them in a book together at the forefront? Tried as it may be, I think theirs would be a fun on-panel exploration of that fraught but fun relationship between a flaky white twink captain and the stoic and decisive woman who is his queer-coded black commander. Not sure if I made the deadline with this one, but in any event, thank you as ever, and please keep making these so that I can keep recommending them to flat scans and latent muties alike. Yours in X, Field XE on the Discord. Thank you for writing in. That was a great email and very kind and not yes. brief. Or no, come on now. <laughs> Uh, but on the second point, we already said this. Yes, I would love yes. to see Cecilia. Cece and Bobby together again would be great. That would be super fun. They've both grown a lot as people, and they had a really good chemistry in that initial story. I, like I said, I was really surprised by how much I enjoyed that story because I haven't read it in a long time, and yeah. it's a lot of fun. As for the first question, I think that that's exactly one of the potential things Cecilia can be. Mm -hmm. a Moira McTaggart who's not Moira McTaggart, if you get what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. Moira McTaggart, even before she was Moira X and the retcon and everything, was a white aristocrat who was not a mutant, like if we're yeah. looking at the classic version of the character. And she was a perfect like ally to the cause. She was great. I'm not saying that you know we need people like classic Moira, we do. But she's an outsider and she's observing these people in a way that is reminiscent of the way minority groups are observed scientifically and medically by the institutions of power. So Cecilia, as a working class Black Puerto Rican woman from the South Bronx, who feels like she is a grassroots scientific character, becoming the new vanguard of mutant biological research is to me very interesting and that's part of what i've really liked about her role in krakoa yes her data pages about sync in particular have been very interesting there's something about dr reyes who by the way is a victim of gun violence that's how her father died mm -hmm. explaining to the reader that sync coming back has unlocked the deeper potential in him that was cut short by racist violence, like allegorically mm -hmm. racist violence because they're not mutants. But there's something about her being the character to explain this to us that I think is layered. And like the thing about the mutant metaphor, the connections to race, sexuality, gender, disability, religion, whatever, are always going to be imprecise and a little vague and more about a vibe than about like a direct allegory that works all the time. Yep. But the vibe there is good to me. Like yep. it feels good to have that character be the one telling us about like Sync unlocking the potential that was stolen from him by the system. It's just cool. Yeah. I think that is exactly the role 
that's why I suggested like sending her to Araco because this, that's a whole new avenue of mutant study. Like no one will, there's, there's never sinister made a pact with strife in executioner's song so that he could get thousands of years of mutant genes. Like that was what strife promised him. And it turned out he had actually left a canister full of the legacy virus. Oops. Punked you again, sinister. But the idea was the greatest way you could possibly study the X gene is to look at a population where it has been actively replicating in a rapid way for thousands of years. Whereas in our present 616 timeline, it only really started accelerating. Like there have always been mutants since Selene anyway, but like it's only really started accelerating since nuclear power. Mm -hmm. This is a community where we have 5,000 additional years of... 7,000. I can't do math. I'm so bad at that. But like, we, we, they have thousands of years of additional family trees and like stuff you could run tests on. And I think that she could be someone who brings that to them in a way that isn't exploitative. And I think that would be exactly. really cool. Yes. Last question. Edmund Savage writes, hello, Connor and Steph. First, Connor, thank you for running an amazing podcast. Steph, I've fallen in love with your work. What you're doing with Nubia has been phenomenal, and you're one of my favorite people to follow on Twitter. You are very good on Twitter when you're there. <laughs> I love whenever you post clips from the, or, or screen caps from the X-Men animated series with your versions of the dialogue, which are very different <laughs> from what's actually being said and are excellent. It's just, I crack up every time. As a black queer non-binary person, the X-Men have always been my faves, but artists haven't always been kind to characters of color, especially toward black women. Drawing Storm with white facial features, lightening the skin tone of Monet inconsistently, or not being able to draw realistic or accurate hairstyles for Cecilia Reyes. Don't get me started on the New Mutants film. How do these instances of misogynoir make you feel as a reader and creator in this industry? Um, so, of course, annoyed, but also <laughs> um, thankful that, you know, myself and others get to, I'm, I don't want to say like finally, because like there have been queer black folks, black folks period, just making comics, right? That haven't been part of the big two, like just indie stuff. So to be able to come in with Nubia, for instance, and kind of take some of the things that didn't work and then make them work. So um, like this character who is supposed to be a very strong black woman and that just be it, actually give her some other things that have absolutely nothing to do with her being strong. So allowing her to be vulnerable or allowing her to express different emotions other than I am going to kick your ass. So in those ways, it's nice to, you know, these characters that I've grown, you know, in love with and infatuation with because they are there and I'm able to and you know connected with them simply because they were black women or whatever it's been nice to finally say okay well now that I can actually play around with this clear character you can me, set it right you know yeah, set it right in that way so you know it's annoying it's something you are just like not a cis white man clearly like there's going to be something in fandom that is going to irritate the hell out of you right but it comes with the territory unfortunately so listen i'll say i'm white but i don't like when they straighten kitty pride's hair i fucking hate that no it's, it's an, like no. <sighs> when they relax kate pride's hair i get pissed and i thanked jerry profusely in person 
Forgive for her her not only bit. putting the Star of David necklace back on her, yes. but giving her her curls back. Because I yes. think that's important to that character. It is. These things are important. And I think it's really cool when creators who have a personal stake in those things get to fix it, as you're saying. Yeah. Like when Colin Anas was on uh, the show to talk about Dust... We talked about how, like, he would love to write Dust because is Grant Morrison's image of this Muslim Niqabi woman perfect? Far from it. Mm -hmm. But is Khalid very grateful that a character who looks like some of the women in his family exists in the world of the X-Men? And, like, would Khalid love to take her for a spin and maybe write her more culturally specifically? Yes, and it yeah. provides that opportunity. Darcy Little Badger says something similar about Danny Moonstar, and the Native American stuff in X-Men is a mess because mm-hmm. Claremont had a lot of respect for the plight of Native Americans in this country, but also was a pulp fiction writer who didn't do a ton of research on the yeah. culture and whatnot and, you know, was a white guy writing a comic in the 70s and 80s. So there's stuff that now with specificity you can get something like nyla rose writing the giant size thunderbird issue and reframing that character into someone who i think will be really important for a lot of readers it's cool stuff and i think you've done that with nubia and i would love to see you get a chance to do that with cecilia reyes yeah so it's annoying. <laughs> i mean like so like short answer annoying frustrating all these other things but not enough to deter me from wanting to you know try to have my say in some stuff wherever I can. Edmund then writes, also, when are we getting more living heroes? Do you think <laughs> Cecilia Reyes would be invited for a girls' yes. night? Thanks again, Edmund Savage, they, them. So, yes, um, would love to give you more living heroes, but O'Neill Jones is very busy, and also myself too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something that we talk about often whenever we do talk. So, yes, a Living Heroes 2 is on the way. When, I cannot say, but Cecilia would definitely be there. Cecilia would have been in the first one. We just ran out of pages. So that story is, is sitting there um, ready to go. So there's more on the way. Keep hope alive and all of that. <laughs> and who knows? I mean, something could happen where it could happen at a official capacity. At this point in time, you Well, just, that's the question. I mean, what know. if... You never know. You could you manifest. Never know. You could manifest. Mm-hmm. Well, Steph, thank you so much for returning to the show. I always enjoy chatting with you, and I have been, quite honestly, so delighted to watch your star rising in this medium over the last year. I knew you could do it. (laughs) Thank you. You've always been a really strong writer, but it's nice when you see someone who's really been working in the trenches as like an indie talent get noticed and appreciated by the big companies so i'm very excited for you mazel tov and i can't wait to see what's next why don't you tell the listeners where they can follow you on social media and plug anything that you want to plug all right so on social media because i'm also on tiktok now that's the new thing so tiktok uh twitter and instagram at steph underscore i underscore will uh, check out whystuff.com. There is more stuff on the way from me. Some things that you might not be expecting. Ooh. Can you spell that URL for them real quick? Sure can. Thank you. It is uh, dot com. Whystuff.com. People are always like, Connor, what was that? And I, I, because I do it. And then like when it's a, a website that's mine, I can be like, I know. But I was like, let me double check <laughs> real quick. But so you have some 
kind of unexpected stuff maybe on the horizon that people will get to hear more about soon. Mm-hmm. If you are a fan of YA, I may or may have not done a thing involving a YA novel. Well, there you go. Yeah, and then a graphic novel situation. So just be on the lookout. And if you've been missing my character profiles, sit tight. There's some other stuff happening. <laughs> so um, more things on the way for me and definitely more comics. And I will, I'm still trying to make my way to the X office. I will get there soon. Listen, they know where to find you. And yes. if they don't, I know where to find <laughs> right. you. So they should ask me and I'll let them know. But I think they do. Yes. I think they're pretty <laughs> confident they can find you if they... You can follow Cerebro on Twitter and Instagram at CerebroCast. You can follow me on Twitter at DreamOfOrganon or on Instagram at Connor Goldsmith. You can find all of the episodes plus much, much more at CerebroCast.com for $5 a month at the House of Zaladane tier at Patreon.com slash CerebroCast. You can get an ad-free experience, an MP3 version, high quality, with no ads to your inbox the moment it drops Also, you will get exclusive access to the Cerebro Secret Files bonus episodes. There's a lot more of that coming up soon. I'm actually going to be announcing a bonus series of sorts Mm -hmm. relatively soon that might be of interest, but not quite yet. So just, you know, sit tight. I appreciate the support. It means a lot. It enables me to continue doing this show. And I love you guys. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) Too parasocial. If you're listening right so. now, <laughs> I mean, you know, I do love them, though. Like, all yeah. of these people in my phone, they're so nice. Anyway, next week's episode will feature ex-office writer and general modern comics legend Al Ewing, who will be on to talk about Abigail Brand and X-Men Red. Questions are now closed. They've been open for, like, a month, guys. I'm sorry. I have, like, so many of them, so no more. But questions are open for the next four episodes after that. Wolfsbane with Rebecca Galt, Spiral with Jordan Block, Pyro with Anthony Oliveira, and Magma with Alex Abad Santos. So please send in any and all questions about those four characters to cerebrocast at gmail.com, and they may be read on a future episode. Thank you, as always, for your support, and until next time, everybody, bye. Bye. X-Men, X-Men. In the 21st century, people mutants led by Magneto aim to destroy the world. Only hope is 